Weaving in and out of your consciousness like a bad dream you can't wake from, this is the Nightmare Junkhead Podcast, a horror podcast that when getting ice cream, always request double scoops. My name is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And on today's episode, we're delving even deeper into the madness as we welcome the From My Parents Basement podcast and the Horror Business podcast to help us break down the surviving horror classics from our 1988 bracket. But before we get into that game, let me remind you we're part of the phenomenally frightening Phantom Podcast Network. Phantom. And you can find all of our past episodes along with a host of other horrific horror podcasts at downrightcreepy.com. Or if you're like me and you like to listen to us on the go, simply search for Nightmare Junkhead in your iTunes or SoundCloud app. Hit subscribe, and when we drop our latest episode, it'll download directly to your listening device of choice. All up in your rad 80s hole. And we are, with this particular episode, going into the round of the Scream 16. Yes. From our Into the Mouth of March Madness tournament. And it's always a shame when we have to say goodbye to some of the uh, the mm-hmm. previous movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is where, if we really had a budget, we could put on like some boys to men and like you know a little like it's so hard to say goodbye <laughs> to but we, yesterday we do have to say goodbye to a few films here from 1988 so we would like to uh, pour, pour one, one out, out for the homies uh night of the demons phantasm 2 maniac cop and a nightmare on elm street part 4 the dream master mm-hmm. if we were recording that episode today they may be the films we were right. talking about today but as it were we got to say goodbye to them but we must move forward. Mm-hmm. The madness must go on. Onward and upward. like we did last year, gang, in the round of the Scream 16, it was a chance more than anything to kind of expand and talk with some of uh, not only my favorite podcast, but podcasts that exist within the Phantom Podcast Network. Mm-hmm. And so the cross-pollination, if you will, a Cronenbergian experience sometimes. Long live the new pod! Really a chance to invite other podcasts into the madness. Mm-hmm. And for the round of the Scream 16, we, this next podcast. So if the Phantom Podcast Network, if, if we were an apartment complex, okay, I'd like to think in my perfect world, this next podcast, they would be our wacky neighbors that live upstairs. But then they also happen to be like these crazy horror hounds, right? So, Come by knock on our door. So hailing from Hamilton, Ontario, uh, from the From My Parents' Basement podcast, welcome to Nightmare Junkhead for the first time, Aaron Lupton and Eric Gadette, and then welcome back to Nightmare Junkhead, ghoulish Gary Pullen. What is going on, guys? How you doing? How you doing, guys? Thank you very much for having us. We're very excited about this. Uh, this has been a long time in the making. Um, so before we get into anything, um, especially for our listeners' sanity, uh, I would like for number one to give you guys a chance to plug your social media, but this is also going to be our kind of chance to put a voice with the name. So we'll do a little, um, oh, what did they do in a reform school, girls, when it came to uh, the head check there? Pat asked. <laughs> a little pat ass. But we are going to play the name game. So uh, go ahead, name, social media, all that kind of good stuff. Okay, well, I'm Aaron Lupton, and uh, I guess some of you may know me as the music editor for Rumorg magazine, and I've been with Rumorg for quite a bit. Uh, in terms of social media, you can follow my Instagram at avlupton, so that's A-V-L-U-P-T-O-N, and uh, I put up a lot of eye candy about all my, my horror soundtracks and movies and stuff like that that I collect there. And I'm Gary Pullen. You may know me as Ghoulish Gary. <laughs> Uh, I am on Instagram and Twitter at Ghoulish Gary. Uh, I basically, yeah, I'm just uh, hanging out with my podcast buds, and we started this thing a little while ago, and we're having a lot of fun. So, thanks for listening. 
Uh, I'm Eric Cadet, and uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter, uh, Instagram, and uh, our page itself uh, from my parents' basement podcast. If you look us up, we're on iTunes, we're on SoundCloud, part of the Phantom Podcast Network. Uh, we're on Instagram as well, Twitter, the usual spots. And I want to just kind of give you guys a little bit of, a, as Joe Lynch would say, waxing your car here. Uh, but one of the things I truly love with your podcast is the kind of the tangential feel of it, but also the fact that I really want to join in on your conversations, kind of where they start and where they go. And that's one of the biggest compliments I can give any podcast is where if I'm walking my dog and I'm completely by myself and I start talking to no one in particular, and it's truly the, the podcast, uh, that to me is one of the strongest points on there. So um, actually, we're going to skip uh, the little order of questions here. I I'd normally start with what did you get in, how did you get into horror, but actually how did the podcast itself come about? Who's, who got this started? Uh, well, I did. Uh... But basically, what I, and thank you so much for that compliment. My favorite uh, podcasts are ones that I also feel like I also want to hop in the conversation. And so my goal for this podcast, uh, you know, when hanging out with Gary and Aaron, was without forcing it, obviously, but just to sit down and talk, almost like a talk radio format. And we've been friends for quite a few years um, through the horror scene, punk rock scene, you know, music scene. And it was just in the last year that my wife and I moved to Hamilton, and Aaron and Gary already had. And I said, well, this is kind of the, the perfect opportunity. You guys want to do a podcast? And they kind of like, well, yeah, but a lot of people, I think, feel like stuck. And I was as well. Maybe you have to have a specific format for your podcast. And I said, no, guys, it's you know anything we want it to be. Let's just sit down and talk. And it'll just be, we, we do it anyway. Yeah, yeah, we were sort of doing it anyway, and it was just a... Uh a fun opportunity to, you know, throw something out there and, and, and do something fun. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, the, I mean, the three of us, Eric, Gary, and myself, we've been, we've known each other for, I don't know, 20 years or something like that. Like we've known each other for a while from, uh, from Toronto. And again, yeah, we're just kind of these horror nerds at heart. And the three of us ended up moving to Hamilton because Hamilton's sort of like the place to go now, if you want to get cheap real estate <laughs> and anytime the three of us hang out all we do is we sit around and we talk about you know stuff from the 80s we talk about all the horror movies we liked and like collecting action figures and heavy metal and, and heavy metal we're all big 80s 80s metal guys and um the idea you know was really eric's this idea that you know we could just record these conversations and make it into a podcast i wasn't totally sure it was going to work but the first time we sat down to record i think we, we used up two hours and those two hours <laughs> Blew out the window, and I'm like, "Yep, this is not going to be a problem. All we need to do is hit record, and we're going to be good for on this." And yeah, thanks a lot for that compliment too, because a few people have mentioned that that uh, when they listen to the podcast, they want to be, they wanted, they keep wanting to cut us off and jump in on the conversation. And and I I take that as a, as a huge compliment that that people would actually be interested in, in listening to us. <laughs> yeah, I think that's exactly the kind of thing we were going for, and it's great to hear that people are picking up on that. Well, you can definitely tell there's some really good chemistry with you guys, um, and obviously if you have like 20 years of stories to pull from, <laughs> right? <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that I'm sure you're going to be able to go into. And even if only half of them can get on the air. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the other half, like, there's still innocent parties that need protection, so yeah. You can do that. That's the uh, From Behind the Beaded Curtain episode, if you will. <laughs> the stories after dark there. <laughs> you hear somebody with a weird voice and like in their face all like, yeah, I was just minding my own business, but all of a sudden, you know, and just. 
So, uh, how did you guys, what was uh, your, all three of you, what was your initial entryway into the horror genre? You know, you mentioned you're huge horror fans, so what was that initial, you know, was it a movie, was it a moment, was it some music, you know, what was it that was your initial entryway into this wonderful world that is horror? Uh, well, actually, last night we recorded a podcast, we haven't, uh, our next episode, we haven't put it up yet, and we kind of almost came to the same consensus that, um... There was a show, I'm not sure if you guys know about it, depending on where you're from in, in the U.S., uh, but up here in Canada, we had a show called The Hilarious House of Frightenstein, and it was a kid's show, and they did it here in Hamilton, very super cheap, and it was all kind of this almost tribute to EC horror, Universal Monsters, uh, but done in their own kind of wacky way with these weird educational segments for children, and it was hosted by Vincent Price. Whoa. And uh, we all watched this as kids, and it was incredible. And that kind of, I don't know, for a lot of us, sparked it, for sure. Yeah, I think, I think Vincent Price was, like, the first image of, like, horror that I saw. I was really young, maybe four or five or six, watching this show. And so the, the theme song was really, had the theremin going and very spooky and kooky. And, you know, Vincent Price laughing, and, and then they go into, like, these, you know, wacky skits. And Billy Van starred... He was a Canadian comedian, and uh, he starred and played 10 characters. And it was sort of my gateway drug to horror films because, you know, you're watching him spook the Count and, you know, all these these great, you know, Igor and all that. So it was like, well, where do those come from? So, you know, it's sort of my gateway into, into, into horror, really. Um, and the other thing, too, was I should mention, too, that uh, I read an art column for Rumor Magazine, so... You know, I was always into horror all through college or all through high school. You know, I was into Alice Cooper and, and Metallica and like you know heavy music and, and, and stuff that co-lined with horror. And then you know when I moved to Toronto after I graduated graphic design school, I you know I, I started working with Rumor Magazine. And Aaron and I actually met Rumor at the very same time. I mean, he introduced me to them. He said, "Hey, here's a magazine from Toronto." you got to check it out. And I said, these guys are in Toronto. Like, we got to get involved. Like, so then Aaron and I started, you know, volunteering for events and showing up to their parties. And, and then before we knew it, we were helping make this magazine, you know? So it's, yeah, it's crazy to think that it's like 20 years later, basically. And yeah. we're still, in, we're still involved in it. Yeah. Uh, and, and for me, you know, kind of what it was, was if you were to ask me, well, how did you get into horror? A lot of my stories would be the same as you know most other horror fans oh i watched a lot of horror movies as a kid i liked you know reading books about ghosts i was you know the frightenstein show was huge um but for me what it was is i never thought about myself as a horror fan even though i consumed a lot of that stuff i just thought well that's what you're into when you're a kid and you're living in a boring town like i did <laughs> and you know like to me horror was like you know before you drink before you smoke before you do drugs you, you watch a rated r film because you're doing something that you're not supposed to be doing and then this is going to be kind of a lame answer that will probably make people stop following me but uh <laughs> me, honestly what it was was when i went to university in 1996 there was this new thing called the internet that was starting to you know this internet thing was starting to sort of catch some catch uh, some steam or something catch on, catch on. <laughs> and, and then someone told me that there were horror websites and i went Really? Why would somebody make a website? And, and I and I, you know, I was going to say I googled it, but Google didn't exist. But I, I found that there was these these horror fans websites, and they were creating like lists, like the top ten most disturbing films. And there were films on those lists that I remember seeing as a kid, and that really got me thinking. 
I think I actually am a horror fan. Like, I just sort of, like, I watched a lot of horror movies, but I didn't realize that this fan kind of community actually existed, and I realized I was a part of it. And, and Room Org was, was that thing that fed me, uh, allowed me to sort of, like, feed my, my, my fandom and, and turn it into something productive, I guess. Honestly, we got to say, Room Org really brought together all the horror fans in Toronto. Absolutely. I mean, because the magazine, you know, it was, it was very young at the time. But it, you know, we all saw its potential, and you know, we just we just were like we got to get involved, and that really, I mean, all the community in Toronto was very strong, um, and so yeah, it's just been kind of kind of cool to be a part of that over the years, and and you know, there's been changes here and there, but really, we're all still friends, we're all still like you know you know we're all involved in horror outside of the magazine as well, you know, so it's. Uh, you know, Toronto is a hub, uh, you know, a hub of horror. It's sort of like... <laughs> it's horror town. It's yeah. horror, horror town. town. You know, Romero, town. He, he, you know, he moved here. He, he passed away here, you know. Um, oh, there's David Cronenberg is here. Guillermo uh, del Toro. Guillermo del Toro is actually thinking of buying a place in Hamilton. Um, and doing you know, a studio here. Doing studios, wow. Opening a studio in Hamilton. Damn. Because Hamilton and the GT area... They, they've kind of always called it Hollywood North, and uh, it's true. You know, Americans get tax breaks, and they, you know, their dollar goes further here, right? So they're making productions here, and you know, so you know, us working, you know, at the magazine and 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 getting, you know, sort of involved um, has really. It's just such a. It's been such a fun twenty years, if you think about it. Like, you know, we've gotten to meet our idols and we've gotten to collaborate with some of our idols and, and interview them and, and, and go see screenings that you'll you'll never find anywhere else. And, you know, being in Toronto and the three of us have all you know, we just connect on, on all those levels and uh, yeah, it's just you know, it's it's just a great great time to be in for horror too, I think here. Yeah, I think mean, Gary I mean Gary was the first friend that I met that was that was into horror and that was huge for me that mm -hmm. I finally had a friend that was in that, that spoke my language but I honestly it's so big now that you could just you know you throw a stone and you're gonna hit a horror fan in Toronto kind of it's thing. true that's cool as shit man I mean the fact that Toronto you first of all Canada's got some awesome ass shit you got like all this cool horror stuff in Hamilton and everybody's moving there you got the Twisted Twins you got Ryan Reynolds and you had cool shit back in the day like Dr. Frightmarestein is that what you called it? Hilarious House of Frankenstein. Frankenstein. The closest fucking thing we had to that was The Count and fucking Vincent the Vegetable Vampire, played by Morgan Freeman on The Electric Company. Like, yeah. you guys got some cool shit. <laughs> I need to go to Canada, man. Canada's first and really only horror host. I mean, I know in the U.S., there's a horror host in every state. Every access channel had a horror host, right, because of what Elvira uh, was doing. And Elvira Goulardi. Goulardi, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Son of Gilardi, like it goes on and on, but like, um, yeah, you know, Canada, Billy Van was it. I mean, Hilarious House was really the only sort of it's the only one we had. The only one we had. I kind of like to think that if that whole you know local cable stations horror hosts sort of culture still existed, that we would have our own cable access. <laughs> <laughs> what are oh, you guys man. doing? What are you guys doing Friday night? You know, just hosting our yeah. horror show. <laughs> We're drinking beers and making puppets. Yeah. <laughs> Art imitates life in the best way sometimes. From there. our parents' studio. Well, like, hell, I'll admit it. You know, I, I'm going to be turning 42 this year, and never, I really don't feel like an adult 
and I think that's no. Ne- no. It's, and it's one of those yeah, things I don't necessarily think it is a bad way because I still love the fact that I'm getting a chance to talk about these things. Spooky movies. I mean, yeah. you get to talk about scary shit. It's and great. Then even better is the fact that you ch- get a chance to talk and meet other people out of this. Um, mm-hmm. Gary, we had a chance. Uh, you went against all like inhibition and you went into a stranger's um motel Hotel room, room. <laughs> yeah we were, we were making farmer friends since uh famous fritters uh, and yeah it was <laughs> again that's well, a patreon only uh, <laughs> out there and you blew my mind with that thing about the halloween poster i have it for, i have a uh, an, an original signed by uh tony moran and pj souls hanging on uh, my door uh, by my house and every time i fucking look at it i just see that goddamn screaming hand and it just makes me smile it's fantastic yeah no that was a lot of fun i, I appreciate you guys having me on that weekend and you know like if, if somebody were to tell me when we were kids that we'd be going to horror conventions mm-hmm. and, and interacting with like whoever tom atkins you name it whatever and 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 you know being involved you know like calling our job you know part of the horror industry i mean shit like i i feel like i'm i'm doing what i want would always wanted to do when we were kids you know like i would think you were crazy oh you know you're gonna grow up and go to these horror conventions and party with your buddies and go see these awesome screenings like I mean, I feel like I'm as excited as I was when I was 14 about this stuff, you know? So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what keeps us going. And I think horror fans, they they always have one foot in nostalgia and one foot <laughs> forward. So, I feel like that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at, you know? Yeah, there's something to be said for finding those like-minded people and just being able to form that community. And if they have their human centipedes and they have three feet in nostalgia <laughs> and three feet forward. Well, speaking of Halloween, I kind of want to transition into what we're here truly for here, is, and that is to go ahead and break down. We have four horror classics from the year 1988, and we need to break them down into two. And I and, and this is... This is so tough, just in terms of putting... Because a lot of these films, so many of these films... On a lot of them, we're Sophie's choicing it. Oh, we still are. And so I want to go ahead... We were talking about Halloween, so let's go ahead and get into our battle of the sequel. We are pitting Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, against Hellbound. Hellbound, Hellraiser 2. And so before we even start the debate, before we start you know, showing our work here, I wanted to throw it out. Um, you guys, Gary, Eric, and Aaron, what were your, let's start with Halloween 4. Do you guys remember, you know, did any of you see it in the theater? Uh, is this your favorite? Is this the worst? You know, what are your guys' thoughts on Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers? Well, first of all, I wouldn't have had it beat Nightmare on Elm Street 4. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's my thought on that. Yeah, you're pronouncing Nightmare on Elm Street wrong, I think. <laughs> yeah, sorry, do you mean the Dream Master? So yeah, anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, I never saw it in theater. I was just a bit too young at that point, but I remember when it came out, I remember the ads, and I remember um, when it came out on VHS, you wanted to you know rent it right away. So uh, my friends and I watched it, and it was a very good, strong return to form. Loomis is in it, uh, <laughs> acting bonkers. Six I mean, times! It, <laughs> no Jamie Lee, but, uh, you Daniel know, okay, they, they carry it on. They carry it on. Danielle Harris is, you know, the, the whatever they say, the niece and, sorry, Jamie Lee's daughter, you know. So they, they carry it on very well. I, I really liked it when it came out. Yeah. I wasn't uh, old enough to have seen it in the theater, but I was definitely at the exact right age to really appreciate that fireplace scene. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Being yeah. a really big fan of that. 
No, I not. <laughs> I come from a, a fairly uh, religious family, and on the weekends, Saturday night was usually the night that we went to church, and then after church. My mom. Church on a Saturday. My parents. <laughs> we used to. We had a five o'clock mass. I remember. Really? Man, I grew up Catholic, that's and I tried to not go to church as much as possible. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's what it was like—a five or six or something. And anyways, but after we would we would rent movies, and my mom, even though I came from a religious family, she didn't seem to have a problem letting me rent rated our films. I think she didn't know what they were, so I picked. I just picked rent Halloween Four off of the off the shelf. I didn't have a history with the franchise. It's not like it was like, oh no, Michael Myers isn't in part three. I'm really annoyed with that. I just, you know, it, it looked like a cool movie to me. And uh, and I stayed up late watching it. And like I say, really enjoyed that fireplace scene. But I was, I, I was, I was actually a really, really big fan of it. Like it, it, it blew me away. The ending blew me away. I absolutely no! 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 no, no, She, he is so quick. To pull the gun yeah. on little, yeah. little, yeah. it's incredible. It's in the I said, now do your Donald Pleasant saying Duke of New York ain't number one. You are the Duke of New York. You're ain't number one. I shot it six times. Six times. If you can pull a really deep pull, then you can you can do the the, the Loomis from like Wake and Fright, where you can just get really drunk and stare just creepily at people. <laughs> oh, he's the best. That movie was great. I like Purple yeah, a lot. I think I appreciated a lot more later on. Uh, I do remember collecting Fangoria, and Halloween Four was on the cover, and I remember thinking the mask didn't look that great when I was seeing. Um, it still doesn't. That. Yeah, it was <laughs> sort of like. Um, you know, shots before the film came out. I didn't see it in the theater, uh, but I did rent it. And I, I think at the time I was mildly disappointed, um, but revisiting it later, I I love it. You know, I think there's a lot of movies from the 80s that, that I've rewatched where, you know what, I was like wrong about. And, and I think Halloween 4 is one of those films. I happened to, when I was a kid, I really liked Halloween 3 a lot. It was so out there, and all the masks and the different characters—you know, the pumpkin and the witch and the and the skull—like that all, as a visual artist, kind of little kid in me, that all really spoke to me more, maybe. So I didn't mind that Myers was in, wasn't in the third one, um, but I don't know. Like revisiting Halloween many years later, uh, you know, I thought it was actually a pretty good sequel, and I love the opening credits with the oh yeah. With the farmhouses, and they really tee it off. Like you really feel like, okay, they're back in Haddonfield. Mm -hmm. They're back with you know all other than Jamie Lee, but we're we're back on track here. And and yeah, it is. A, it's got some style. Like the film is. I think it's one of the better sequels for sure. Yeah, you know what's funny is that even as a kid, that opening really resonated with me. I remember yeah. it, it, it stayed with me, and I remember talking to my friend about it, about how like oh. I really love horror films that are set in like rural or set on farms or something. It's like, what the hell are you talking about? Horror movies that are set on farms. And, and what I was thinking was, I was thinking Halloween Four because yeah, of that. Yeah, it has that. That it feels like October. Yes, yeah. it yeah. really does. When it opens up, it's just so it's so cool. So. Yeah, I definitely don't think it gets the love or attention it deserves. It just in terms of almost course correcting what it did for the franchise mm -hmm. because. I think you may have been the only person when you saw part three originally that should be like, okay, that's cool. I don't mind this. Because I remember when I originally saw it. Yeah, I know. I did. I did like part three when it came out because.
because um, I was okay with it being a one-off. I wasn't, you know, I was open to it. Put it that way. I wasn't like, yeah, I was a fan of Michael Myers, and but I wasn't. I don't. I don't remember being overly upset that they changed direction on that film. So it just yeah, cemented I mean, your love of Atkins a little bit more back in the day. Oh, oh yeah. Come on. I mean, back then he was in so much stuff and so much I, good stuff. Yeah, so mm -hmm. much good stuff. That like, yeah, that helped having him in there and Jamie. Jamie no, no, never mind. I think I'm the Bob. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis and uh, you know Tom Atkins back together again in the fucking in, in Halloween three. It's like, nope, different movie. Buddy. Cochran yeah. Cochran switched him out, I think. That, famous for yeah, just uh, just androids. Actually, incorrectness over here. So we'll, we'll try to we'll try to be better here. Although another uh, inappropriate uh, relationship between Tom Atkins and a young girl. So I yeah, why that's probably that why he's always like that sort of like leecherous old codger. Yeah. <laughs> He's getting he's getting banned from malls and shit. <laughs> For the love of God, stop it! No, we're we're putting you away. No, we're telling you to stop it, Mr. Atkins. <laughs> a leading man that you would never have in a film. He was he was a throwback to like Joe Don Baker days, where you could be a barrel-chested, mustachioed man, and you could get away with everything he did. Yeah. It's six o'clock in the morning and I'm going to a toy store with a six pack and a sixteen year old. What's the matter? <laughs> and I and you know, I go to work and I grab you know, I, my coworkers, I grab their asses. That's what women do. They All slap right. they slap the women's ass. Nothing uh, real firms a job well done like a bump and it's slapped <laughs> to the behind. Hey Jiggles, come in. You know, and then he was having an illicit affair with um the mm -hmm. forensic scientist and, and the nurse. And like a whole bunch of stuff. He was like Dr. Dick is what he was. <laughs> he was. You were always like, oh, what do you want now? You want, okay, we'll help. <laughs> giggle, giggle, giggle. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I wonder if he gets all those masks and have a little big oh, eyes wide shut type orgy with all the like different silver shamrock masks. The, the password is shamrock. <laughs> Drew Stonehenge. <laughs> See, the funny thing and I know we're now we're talking about Halloween three, but 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 I didn't actually pick up on the fact that he was divorced or that he was separated the first time I saw the film because they don't make it they don't really uh, make it explicit for you, and I just thought he was this married guy that was just sleeping with everybody, and then, <laughs> and then when he finally has this moment and he's going to ask this young girl a question, the question is, how old are you? <laughs> like, I just thought it was going to be like I'm married or something. Yeah, like yeah. That. I'm sorry, I'm married. I can't do this. No, how old are you? Uh, then all of a sudden. Is this a hard 18 or? <laughs> <laughs> this was an 83, so right. the PG rating could have gone either way there. But it's interesting enough now to realize that like Halloween 4, they put it in the title. The Return of Michael Myers. Saying, Don't worry, nope. anyone that had an issue. Yeah, in part 3, he's back. So now, I someone mentioned the, the, the fireplace scene, and I will give a special shout out to uh, mm -hmm. Kathleen Kinmont, mm -hmm. who is the, the sheriff's daughter in this particular scene. Sheriff's daughters are always hot. Have you noticed that? Sheriff's daughters in the horror movies are always hot. Like, look at Friday 6. Good night. Yeah, on one of our shows. Yeah. She's one of my favorite characters of all time. She's the best. Jennifer Cook. Because mm -hmm. yeah. where the red light goes, ya bang. So. Ya bang. <laughs> it's going to be a hairy turn. <laughs> <laughs> What's the shirt uh, uh, she's wearing in Halloween 4? Sheriff's Daughters Do It Better? Yeah, Sheriff's Daughter Do It by the Book or by something the book. like that. There it is. The book. Yeah. And that book is the Kama Sutra. 
<laughs> well, if you notice, though, her weird connection in the horror genre is she's technically the bride in The Bride of Reanimator. But if you yeah. go back, uh, you go back to the original Reanimator, it's Barbara Crampton is in there. And there's this really weird connective tissue. Have you guys ever seen? It's this, like, boner jam from, I think, 85. It's called Fraternity Vacation. Yes. 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 Totally I have it. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you have basically both the, re- both the, you know, the females from Reanimator. You've got Stephen Jeffries and Amanda Bierce from Fright Night. It's this right. weird connective tissue vampire boner jam. And Tim Robbins and is it Cameron Day? Mm. Girl? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and the guy from just one of the guys as well. It's yes. it's unreal how biz- it just it's like it's one of those Cronenbergian again, you know, morphs. And the uh, the bouncer from the nightclub in Fright Night is the dirty uh, Photoshop owner. And Brad Fidel does the actual score for yeah. Fraternity Vacation as well. So if you watch that Fraternity Vacation as a sequel to Fright Night as opposed to Part Two, <laughs> it is so much better. Right, which, which I think somehow brings us back to Halloween Four somehow or another. The only, before we get, the only thing I wish that would have had in Fraternity Vacation was when Stephen Jeffries, when he got on that uh, ledge, if he had that weird Raggedy Ann wig like he did in Fright Night. Mmm, dinner's in the oven. <laughs> Any of our listeners that don't know what we're talking about, we actually <laughs> devoted an entire episode to this particular scenario yeah. in the back catalog. You'll definitely have to check it out there. Uh, but um, actually, so transitioning um, from Halloween 4 to Hellraiser 2, you know, you go from a, a sequel that was roughly 10, well, I guess I should say about four years in the making, to one that followed an immediate masterpiece from the year before. So your guys' first impressions and uh, interactions with Hellraiser 2. I don't have the history with Hellraiser 2 that I had with Halloween 4, that's for sure. I mean, I saw it, I, I actually don't have a specific memory of when the first time I saw Hellraiser 2, but I'm sure it was at a sleepover, because that's what all <laughs> I did as a kid, was we rented a bunch of horror movies and had sleepovers. And so, um, I guess, you know, like, well, I guess I shouldn't quite say that. What I remember, actually, about Hellraiser 2, I remember it being a huge film. Like, I remember it being, like, seeing Hellbound. Hellraiser 2 everywhere and I remember being in the video store and they had those huge like there's a big standee a big cardboard standee of it and everything like that and I was actually surprised that when I went back and looked it up in the Wikipedia before this episode that uh, uh, it didn't make that much money actually I think it made 15 million or something like that like I, 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 I remember it being this like huge huge movie and I wanted to see it really badly and it's kind of one of those movies that when I would have seen it the first time, I would have went, yeah, that's pretty good. And meanwhile, inside, I was like, I have no fucking idea what that movie is about. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't understand anything about it. Now, you know, now it's pretty straightforward. But. I think that it's, um, I revisited uh, when we found out the titles that we were doing for this, this show. And I hadn't seen it in a long time. And I, I, I enjoyed it. I, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit, actually. Um, I think it's a, a really strong sequel. Um, I again, I, I don't have like Aaron. I don't have a specific memory of the first time I watched it, but I do remember the hype behind it, the magazines, the advertising, the interviews. It was Clyde Bart. Uh, well, it wasn't he didn't direct it, but you know, it was a it, no, he wrote it. It was Clyde Barker. right. So it had right. his thumbprint all over it, and you know, so or something else. <laughs> yeah, that is a sticky movie. Um, but uh, yeah, 
so I needed to watch it again, and um, I mean, it's really cool, actually. There's some there's some dialogue in it that I thought came from the first film. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some epic, you know, one-liners from from Pinhead and 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 and, and that scene with the Doctor, where he's like, "The Doctor is in," you know, <laughs> when he kind of uh, arrives as a Cenobite. Uh, you know, and it's so gory. It's far gorier than what I remember. In fact, I I kind of think it, it kind of gave me like a bulgy vibe watching the film again. They really like like gore as fetish. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like like there's maggots on wounds, and you know there's that guy that's just constantly stabbing himself with the razor, like get him off me, and he's cutting his chest off. And it's definitely a body horror movie. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I did, and that's not what I. Like I, I should say that I did revisit it before this, so it's, it is fresh in my mind, and it's much more of a body horror film than I remember it. Being. Yeah, like it totally yeah. is. It's 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 the gore and the practical effects are probably the strongest part of it. Yeah, and they're really disturbing. Like they they it's 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 not just that they're well done; it's that they really kind of like yeah, it gets under your skin, you know. Bluntly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a pretty strong sequel for sure. I think it's the best sequel. I will agree with that one. On the Hellraisers? Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, and all the other Hellraisers. Yeah. yeah. Well, something we always talked about is just how adult those Hellraiser movies felt, almost how they differentiated themselves from other horror flicks. Like, I just felt like I wasn't really ready to understand the themes that went along with them. Right, because as a teenage horror fan, you kind of relate more to the madcap death and tits of Friday the 13th as opposed to this, like... Cerebral adult SM, like, thing. <laughs> no, for sure, you're absolutely right. Because the Hellraiser movies, as iconic as they are with the Cenobites and Pinhead, I was saying to these guys, they haven't held on to me for nostalgia's sake like Friday the 13th and mm-hmm. Nightmare on Elm Street and Same all those here. other movies did. And it's kind of like, oh, yeah. That, I, and then, you know, talking with you guys now, it's like, oh, yeah, they're not fun. <laughs> 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 yeah, they're. Exactly, they're very gory, and there's adult themes going on, and there's like stuff. They're like, "Oh yeah, that's why we're not like, ha ha ha." Hell, those Hellraiser movies. Suck all the <laughs> yeah, what a blast! Yeah, you hey guys want to come over to watch uh, Hellbound tonight? Hey, I, just got, I just got this uh, like uh, garter belt and fucking, uh, <laughs> you know, I got, or I got, I got like this S and M outfit that I'm gonna find. You guys want to come over? Yeah, you know what? I'll bring my S and M Rubik's cube because that pinhead was a hoot. We <laughs> yeah, can play Cards Against Humanity. We we can like cut ourselves with little like fish hooks really slowly. It's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be a blast. We're gonna it's like, it's like talk about all the weird sex we had last weekend. It's like, yeah. a, it's like a film for cutters or something. It's like yeah. a film for perverts or something because there's like and then there's that whole weird like diddly uncle coming back. Come to daddy. Yeah, it's but I think you, you really you know hit hit the nail on the head there. That's exactly what it was for hey, me. Hey, Aaron. Nail on the head. Oh. Ah, pinhead. Ah. Oh, I was trying to be subtle, Eric. <laughs> he has such sights to show us. Yes. The, the beginning is really great, actually, where they show pinhead, the yeah. origins. That looks painful when yeah. he becomes pin, pinhead. Pain it's and like pleasure, indivisible, y'all. The, the, the nails into his head, and it's like, it's, it's, it's actually a really cool scene. Yeah, no, I, but I was going to say, like, I mean, I was raised on, like, Friday the 13th and Halloween. And so the first time I saw the first Hellraiser, I remember being, okay, what is this movie about? Is it about 
Pinhead's a monster that kills people. Oh, I see. It's about a woman that kills people or brings them up to an attic and kills people. That's what this movie's about. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as it gets away from that, I, I just I, I couldn't understand it as a, as a kid. Like it, I yeah. thought it was cool, but I was not sophisticated <laughs> yeah. enough of, of a kid to understand it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, you're 100 percent right. You don't you don't understand it until you're older, until you're actually like know what S and M is, and to decide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or at least think about it. <laughs> but um, yeah. Uh, no, I got a question for Gary. Um, on and one of the on one of the things I liked about Hellraiser Two was the matte paintings, mm. the background matte paintings. Yeah, yeah. What did you think about that? Oh, I lo- you know what? Like again, revisiting it, uh, it's a bigger movie than what I remember. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, it's definitely it's a fully realized film. Like, the sets look great. Uh, like you said, the, the matte paintings look really good. Um, there's a lot going on in this fucking movie. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> the end with the doctor and, and his, his, you know, he's in hell. And, you know, yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of artistry that went into this movie. Maybe more so than Halloween 4 in terms of special effects and realizing a world you know mm-hmm. selling you on a world actually with halloween you don't have to do much you got Haddonfield, have a guy in a mask at night right that's it's a pretty yeah. simple story and that's great but hellraiser obviously you've got a lot more to do an there. uphill battle an and uphill it, battle so i thought they did a really good job and yeah you're right the visuals are really, part of the are part of the story are right? part of the story yeah they're part of the world well even uh, christopher young's score really adds another element to that film as well and which I think actually, though, if you then compare Chris, the Christopher Young score versus the Alan Haworth score over on Halloween 4, you get to some interesting comparisons. But yeah, these m- movies are totally different, but we need to go ahead and go ahead and pit them against each other. So what we like to do, or what we're trying to do here, is we're going to make this academic, if you will. So it is important that we show our work when it comes to putting these two films together. So what we're going to do is we're going to basically <coughs> look at two things. We're going to decide which one is closer to the heart. Closer to the heart. In terms of kind of, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not good. It's not well, good. Well, we, we hit their Canadian button right well, there. Yeah, we just like, boop. Hell, I've been hitting that button since last year, so. <laughs> but then also, and so the idea is, you know, which one is closer to your heart in terms of a nostalgic sense? And then the other one then is, if you were to take away one of these films, either Halloween 4 or Hellraiser 2, which one would leave 1988 poorer? You know, which one would hurt the year more if you took it away? Okay? So that being said, let's look at Closer to the Heart here. So I'm going to throw it out over to you guys here. Which one, part uh, Halloween 4 or Hellraiser 2, which one is closer to your heart on the nostalgic feel? You have to, you have to sing like Eddie Lee one more time. For us. <laughs> which one of us? Both of us? No, you know what? Okay. So Closer to the head! <laughs> if we're talking about, uh, in my heart, the one th- th- this is an easy one. Halloween 4 is very near and dear to my heart. I, I loved it. It resonated with me uh, because of the times that I and, I... and I would have seen both films roughly close together. Uh, that was one that resonated with me, whereas uh, Hellbound was, I guess good but i didn't really understand it so i can't really say that it, it really resonated with me or had a special place in my heart um now do you want me to choose though which one i would say well actually no we'll get into that one next we'll go down the line here on the so we're just doing the heart this one <laughs> okay okay so that's that's all i'm gonna say so for me the, the, it, in terms of my heart it's a no-brainer it's halloween 4 makes sense 
Yeah, I, I have to agree with Aaron. It, it's like, you know, growing up as slashers and, you know, these movie monsters, uh, I would, you know, I was always a, a Myers fan, maybe more than a, a Pinhead fan. Um, but, you know, re again, revisiting Hellraiser 2, I think I appreciate a lot more yeah. than, I, than I ever have. Um, but yeah, I got to go with Halloween 4 for, for what's closer to, to what I'm into. <laughs> Same for me, Halloween 4, the easy one. Uh, yeah, I think it's a strong return to form. Like you said, it's a course correction. Uh, for me, Halloween 4. Yeah. Damn, a clean sweep uh, from my parents' basement right there. Um, I saw both of these movies in the theater, and I did not get Halloween, uh, Hellraiser 2. I, not until I was older. So for Closer to the Heart, the Getty Lee style, we're going uh, Halloween. Okay. And then finally, in terms of breaking these two down, in terms of being closer to the heart, I went actually a little bit extra, and I pulled their, and I someone mentioned this earlier, but the Fangoria covers for each of them. <laughs> and the tagline for Halloween 4 on the cover of Fangoria said, Long time, no kill, which, you know, I, yeah. I liked. But then the one for Hellraiser 2 was... A matter of splatter and damn you know mm. my my entryway to both of these was through Fangoria so for me I'm gonna go um, Hellraiser 2 just for the closer to the heart because I love the fact a matter of splatter kicks the shit out a long time no kill now that being said now we have to think a little bit with the head this time we got to get a little bit more logical so if you took which of these two films if you took them away which one would leave 1988 poor? And again, we're going to start with the fellas from the From My Parents' Basement podcast. Uh, okay, so I think that if you took away Hellraiser 2, that would have actually left the decade and subsequent years poor. Okay. I think that Hellraiser 2 didn't exactly lead to a bunch of really great Hellraiser films. Like, I think they were <laughs> all mostly bad after that, or, or average, maybe. But, but at the same time... <laughs> I think that any time you have a film that's that artistic and that, um, you, you know, forward-thinking and intricate visually as well as writing, that's just good for the genre. That's just good for, for horror in general. Whereas for me, Halloween 4 is a cheeseburger, right? It's just like, it's like, you, you know what you're going to get, and it's not really good for you, and it's not even really good, but it's sort of like, you know, you can turn it on and turn off your brain sort of thing. And that's great and, and everything, but I, I, you know, if you never brought back Michael Myers, we, we would still have these great Halloween 1 and 2, and, you know, it's too bad that they didn't go on with the Halloween 3 idea of just having a whole bunch of different Halloween films. Mm -hmm. And I mean, and, and I, I have to say that after Halloween 4, those movies are, are in my opinion, are, are all terrible. Like yeah. Halloween 6, Halloween 5, H2. Yeah, it's all yeah. You, you will get in arguments for me on that one. <laughs> yeah, it definitely, you know, downgraded there but after that, but... Um, you know what? Aaron said something really interesting. There's a lot of forward thinking in Hellraiser, in the Hellraiser series. There's a lot of pushing the envelopes and, you know, bringing forward themes uh, that are make people uncomfortable. And, yeah. um, and so on an artistic level, I think Hellraiser 2, huh, you know, the special effects in that are so good and, 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 and everything. Um, you know, but again, Halloween... Four was like this term you guys said today. The uh, you know corrected the course of the series, right? Mm. Um, man, I'm I'm kind of torn here, like because, because Halloween is so near and dear to my heart, and you know, like I just love the series. All you know, well, most of them. 
Um, <laughs> oh, hey, you know what? I, I think I gotta go with Hell. I think the I think the genre without Hellraiser two and somebody out there like Barker pushing the envelope, which is really all what like like horror everything that horror tries to do. I think I think I think without it, yeah, like um, the year would have been uh, horror, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I gotta go with Halloween. I don't know. I get what you guys are saying, but you're being a little too highbrow for my life. <laughs> All this bougie-ass shit. <laughs> yeah, we do like cheeseburgers, too. You guys are too bougie. Um, no, I, what they're saying is absolutely correct about Hellraiser 2, but in my opinion, they don't hold. They're incredible, but they don't hold, and they're even worse than other series with a law of diminishing returns after. Mm. Yeah. And so for myself, simply for the fact that, quote, I mean, we were fans, but, quote, it saved the Halloween franchise. I think it would be poorer if Halloween Four was not in it. So my vote's Halloween Four. All right, genius. Okay. Um, the Halloween franchise not, would not be friends anymore after this. <laughs> <laughs> fight, fight, fight! <laughs> I fought him six times. No, um, <laughs> no, you are one hundred percent correct in saying the Halloween Four, uh, the, the Halloween franchise would be a lot poorer if Halloween Four wasn't there. However, because of the diminishing returns with both series, um, you start getting into the Cult of Thorns and shit gets crazy. I mean, and you start getting hell on earth with Hellraiser and shit gets even weirder and they go to space. But Michael Myers Halloween 4 it was a good return to form. That being said, Hellraiser 2 was a bigger, better world building. Um, so basically, Halloween 4 to me is like... A remake sort of of the original where it's just kind of like the next generation type thing but Hellraiser 2 took something and just expanded it exponentially while Hell uh, Halloween kind of still kept it in the same vein so for that I gotta go with Hellraiser 2 yeah I that's it's hard to say anything that you guys haven't said that's not profound whether it be bourgeois or lowest common denominator <laughs> you know we appreciate it all in the podcast uh, oh, I said bougie <laughs> yeah, yeah, we said bougie. Bourgeois, bourgeois is too bougie. Oh shit! I just outed myself. Yeah, you're, you're too bougie to be bourgeois. <laughs> no, I've got, bon. <laughs> I've definitely got to go in terms of looking at what they did for each respective franchise because um, a part four versus a part two are going to do two very different things. Um, I think Hellraiser was definitely riding the coattails of the first one. Not riding the coattails, but just the momentum. Just because Hellraiser was so different. And the fact that, as you guys have mentioned, it did Hellraiser 2 did so much for the genre. It was a big movie. And then Halloween 4 righted the course. But man, maybe if they would have given us a better mask... Or if they would have taken the chance and gone with Jamie as the next shape. Exactly! If they would have would... If that would have happened, I think that would have changed my vote. But I'm going to have to go with, yeah, if we didn't have Hellraiser 2, 1988 would definitely be poorer on that one. Fuck you guys. <laughs> <laughs> cut off his mic. Cut off his mic. No. <laughs> you guys made, made a really good point that with Halloween 4, the, the reason why Halloween 4 is a good movie is that it's as close as you can get to the old movie. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's as close as you can get to Halloween one and two, and that—that's its biggest accomplishment. That being said, that ending of Halloween four is legit an awesome fucking thing. It's the best part of the movie. Yeah, and yeah. you're right. If they had done some, if they had done something with that, that oh, Michael Myers is like evil incarnate, and that evil infects certain people, and yeah. in some, if they had explored that idea, it would have been good. But instead, it was 
oh no no she's just in the hospital <laughs> yeah whatever five is wow man is it ever a bad let's make her mute yeah they yeah. took they did so many missteps with part five after leaving off on such a good note with part four yeah i agree for sure and as it is, with five points, five votes to four, Hellraiser 2 has sights to show us and will continue to show into the next round of the Into the Mouth of March Madness. That being said, I do agree with you guys, so I just wanted to be the lone voice. Of- as, he, as he puts his Haddonfield banner away and a little <laughs> pendant and the number one Michael Myers face, big foam mask. Yeah. Hurts, you know, but um, I have to ask a question: What made you guys pit Halloween Four and Hellraiser Two against each other? I'm just curious. The original was um, Hellraiser Two versus Phantasm Two, and oh. then it was Halloween Four versus Nightmare on Elm Street Four. And when you said the re, and as you see, we have to show our work and think critically, and that's one of the. While for me, Night uh, Nightmare Four was closer to the heart, it's just Hall- Hellraiser Two was just a bigger spectacle it was more about what a part two the fact that we left out fright night two from the tournament yeah. should be a sin but it, we gave it a an honorable mention no there are you if you go back and you look at the amount of sequels from 1988 yeah. it is it's stupendous it's ridiculous yeah the 80s were just treasure troves between halloween 4 and hellraiser 2 i was sort of uh scoring it on what is a stronger sequel in terms of furthering the series i mean you know halloween 4 definitely you know got things back on track, but they didn't really stick with it um you know and i felt like hellraiser maybe took the edge on that one because of the you know the world building thing and mm. you know the the getting inside pinheads fucking skull and, <laughs> you know i don't know anyway no, that's okay, and that's what the beauty of this whole thing, and what we love to do is the fact that we are getting to talk and debate these things. Because yeah, you talk to us tomorrow, Halloween Four could be moving forward rather than Hellraiser Two. Yeah, there's reasons for both, you know. But uh... mm-hmm. well, and then going from sequels, then we're going to go to some original franchises here, and you know, John Carpenter has his fingertips, his DNA all over this year's tournament and no more so than our next two films that we're going to be battling against each other but the you want to talk about a sophie's choice but you want to talk about two films that are both so firmly established against the government that it's going to i think inspire a lot of talk uh but we are talking about they live going up against the blob so let's start with they live uh what are you guys your first experience interaction with this john carpenter masterpiece so I, I was actually talking to Eric about this yesterday. I didn't see They Live when it first came out. I didn't see it in like 88. I definitely didn't see it in, in the theater. And I didn't really know what it was. I remember seeing the poster, and the poster caught my eye because it had this weird skull alien thing on it. And I thought, oh, it's another horror film from John Carpenter. But every review I read of it said it was a science fiction film. And I wasn't as interested in sci-fi as I was into horror, so I kind of skipped over it. And I didn't see it until I was a little older, like 19 or so. Mm-hmm. And it fucking blew me away. I'm like, I didn't know that's what this film was about. All of the the sort of um, corporate conspiracy, uh, Reaganomics, you know, the obey, consume, and everything. Yeah. Like, oh, you put on the glasses, and you know, and then you see it, and then there's certain people that don't want to put on the glasses. They don't want to know the truth. All of that stuff was very near and dear to my heart because I was sort of from the. I was very into the punk and and hardcore scene. And fuck the establishment. Yeah, yeah, the, the 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 politics of the hardcore scene were 
write exactly like everything that is being uh, discussed and all of the themes that that are in They Live, and so it blew my mind that there was no other film that was really like that, to be honest, and and it was so uh, did it did it did it so well. And then on the other hand, you know, you've got the the ridiculousness of you know Roddy Piper wrestling with uh, Keith Davis or whatever his name is in David. the Keith, 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 David. Keith David, sorry, in the in in the alleyway. Uh, it just, yeah, it absolutely blew my mind. But I didn't see it exactly as a kid, more as a teenager. I wouldn't feel bad about not seeing it in the theater. I don't think anybody saw it in the theater. You did? I did. I was fortunate enough to. Asshole. I know. That's <laughs> cultural currency. Um, I, at the time, I didn't think it was Carpenter's strongest film, but I was a huge Roddy Piper fan. <laughs> And and because I was really into the '80s wrestling, like WrestleMania three was like that's where my head was at when I was a kid, and so that was really cool to me that he took on. And I thought he was really good in it. Like I thought, man, this guy can actually you know pull it off. You know, he can mm-hmm. act. You know, um, yeah, good actor. And uh, so, uh, but yeah, no, I, I I thought it was really really cool. Obviously, like you know, I was familiar with John Carpenter stuff back then, and. And I don't know. I just, um, yeah, I really, uh, I thought, I thought they live was really cool. However, the political stuff kind of went over my head. Um, you know, I was sort of like, uh, I was pretty young when I saw it, maybe like 12, 13. So I was sort of like, I didn't really know what Reaganomics meant. You know what <laughs> right. I mean? Like, so I didn't really understand the politics behind it. Um, but you know, I, I thought the aliens looked cool, and I thought like the 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 eighteen minute fight scene was epic, and something that you know you you'll never forget after you watch the movie. Um, but yeah, anyway, that's my sort of take on They Live. Yeah, I remember when it came out, I was super excited to see it because of Rowdy Roddy Piper, and uh, same thing as Gary. I was into huge into wrestling. Couldn't wait to see it. Uh, then I was like, you know, being young, you still know the name John Carpenter, so you know it's going to be something good. Mm-hmm. And watched it, loved it. The one-liners are classic. Hey, yeah. What was he called? Formaldehyde. Formaldehyde face. face huh? Yeah, yeah. You know, just the, he's <laughs> so good in it, and he's so smarmy and funny and mm-hmm. witty. Um, and as a kid, you're right. Yeah, the politics went over my head, but I still kind of recognized like almost the yuppie greed. Mm-hmm. You know that you hear adults talk about as you watch the movie, and you're like, "Oh, it's a it's a face for that." Yeah, or and the elite, and yeah. or this this sort of like Orwellian notion of like always being watched and yeah. Yeah. controlled, and uh, I mean, I think you know I got that concept for sure. And it shows actually, a, it was more in the '80s. They would show sleazy New York, kind of shows sleazy LA. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is cool. And um, I don't know. I just remember when it came out. I, I loved it. I thought it was great, and I still think it holds up. Yeah, uh, still a great movie. Love it. Yeah. Well, speaking of still holding up, it's so scary how still relevant it is. Because I don't know if you guys in Canada know, but here in America today, <laughs> um, everything's yeah. not peaches and cream. So <laughs> it's it's kind of incredible the fact that uh, this is one of those Carpenter films that truly has something for everyone. Because as you said, you can approach it almost in like a uh, higher bougie. Yes. <laughs> You do have those lovely, the, the social satire that's going on with, again, what is the government doing but corrupting us. And then, of course, you get as lowbrow as it's as, as wonderful with that, again, the 18-minute fight scene. And then you got yourself a little bit of butt flowers right in the middle of it. And I didn't know you boys are down with the program. 
we 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 lamented the loss of Buck Flower and the fact that at the John Carpenter show, how great would have been a Buck Flower hologram? hologram? Yeah, kind of like the Tupac at Coachella, but just Buck Flowers, and he's over there like doing the fucking hokey pokey or some like hobo slide or something. What did uh, did you guys have a chance to see? Uh, I know I've I listened to the podcast, so I know you've seen him a few times. But yeah, what did you guys think of JC Live? Oh, I, you know what? I've seen him three times, some twice last year, and then and then here in Toronto this year, and it's just it's incredible. And and, and the show in Toronto was better. He's 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 become better as a performer, and, and the band is better and tighter and louder. And it's just great to see him up there because. I've interviewed John Carpenter a couple times, and he's a bit of a curmudgeon. <laughs> you can tell he's just having the time of his life. He's yeah. so happy up there. Like yeah. he's he's like it's such a like when's that ever gonna happen again? That someone all of a sudden has a music career at age seventy. You know what I mean? And and you can tell it's just like yeah, my film career's over, but I've got this awesome music career now. I'm I'm a rock star at age seventy, and he's yeah. he's got all these weird these funny moves. These dances. yeah. His little exactly. shimmy, the carpenter shimmy in the points. Yeah, yeah, his shimmy is is incredible, and his and his uh, his banter with the crowd is just so cheesy, but it's so awesome at the same time. It's I think it's it's it's, it's fantastic, and the fact that oh yeah, yeah, it's probably the best concert I saw. I yeah. you know we like we've talked about it here. Like we live in such an awesome time right now. Like Goblin is out there with the intelligence and their music. You know, you've got Fabio Fritzi doing U.S. tours. Uh, you know the resurgence and what he's doing, and now you know Carpenter's is is playing music for us live. I mean, come on, like that's it's so cool to like hear these songs live that are just entrenched in our minds from you know playing the DVDs when we were ki- you know young and just hearing like this these music this music from these films. You know now you can go see them live. So I you know I hope he does a tour next year. I hope, mm-hmm. I hope he's going until he can't do it anymore. Will you I'd talk? Like Oh, like go ahead. Some more lost theme stuff too. Yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm. I love the solo albums, like the the non the non well the, the music that yeah, yeah, yeah. like they were from films. Well, um, you talk about the banter that he's got going on. How great is it before they they kick into they live and then they all stop and then they put, put on, on the glasses. The sunglasses. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. And it's it's so cheesy but so perfect. You're like, if they didn't do it, it would have been such a lost opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, it's. It's absolutely like watching your dad trying to be cool. Yes, yes. I was just thinking like your old uncle like trying to rock out, but he fucking pulls it off. He did. He pulled, they were rock stars up there, man. They, yeah, they were. They, really, they put on an awesome show, and the visuals were great, and they were timed yeah. to the music. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of thought that went behind this thing. You know, The, the production of the show was really, really well done. And just the celebration of his work. And him throwing out the rock fist. Oh. Yeah, he's throwing yeah. out the horns this time. It was he's great. Right. He throws the horns. Yeah, that's right. Everybody left that show in Toronto just beaming with, with a smile on their face. Like, yeah. I think people floated out of that show. The other, the other thing too is at the beginning, you know, Gary was talking about how you know, like, we live in horror town in Toronto. If you want to see every horror fan in Toronto, go see John Carpenter because they're all <laughs> like, yeah. like, you can't walk by without running into some friend of yours or yeah, someone yeah. that you know. It was a bit of a class reunion, which was yeah. kind of cool. Well, shit, we went to go see him in Chicago. We're out of Kansas City, and we went to go to Chicago, and we like ran into like four or five people we knew. And we're like, hey, what are you doing here? Like, John fucking Carpenter. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. So, Yeah, and you, right. tr- you really get, I think, with uh, like, especially like Prince of Darkness, which was in last year's tournament, and this year you kind of get that like punk rock John Carpenter 
just fed up with the studio films yeah. Fuck process. The man. Yes, and then you get these just wonderfully personal, deeply biting films with They Live. And I know, I will argue that I think In the Mouth of Madness is the last great John Carpenter film, but this is one of those that also that kind of really sent out the '80s in a big way. Yeah. Oh, it, it it's it. You know, you know what I mean. Like people have this idea of what the '80s were like. Oh, '80s greed and you know flash and cocaine and, and whatever but this was sort of like the dark side of the <laughs> 80s and it, and it it predicted the future basically like, yeah. you're very close yeah. to they live in terms of the disappearing middle class and everything like that indeed indeed including fights in the uh, alleyways you know in, and uh, downtown and make it god damn those eyes okay, so that have taken over the world it predicted the future <laughs> well speaking of terror from above our next film as well um, and we talked about it in the opening round episode, but it's a remake that doesn't give the love that it deserves, but we're here to heap love upon it. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1988's The Blob. What are your guys' thoughts, feelings with this particular little masterpiece? I love The Blob. I thought it was uh, great. When I, it was one of those movies that's like just junk food for the brain. I remember <laughs> when it came out and rented it on, like, you know, like Aaron said, uh, you know, a Friday, Saturday night, you go to your friend's house and you rent a movie, and it's just. It's a lot of fun. It's pure fun. And it's a great remake. I thought it was done well. I loved it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a huge fan of the 50s blob. I'm a huge fan of 50s, uh, sort of the Atomic Age, uh, you know, uh, space films. Right. And and I thought that the blob remake by Chuck Russell, who also did my favorite uh, Nightmare film. Fuck yeah. Uh, Dream Warriors. Uh, I thought Chuck Russell fucking nailed the mm-hmm. blob remake. It is like... It's a popcorn film, through and through. It's just a good time at the movies. Um, it's the quint. It's one of the quintessential '80s films too, in terms of like the way they were lit, the way the special yeah. effects, yeah. the star yes. of the film, yes. colors. Um, the colors, yeah, the uh, hair. That fucking Dylan's mullet. Johnny <laughs> <laughs> Smith. Yeah. yeah. Smith, that's Taking right. dirt bike jumps over the. Yeah, yeah being hella rad. <laughs> back of your motorbike you know yeah and 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 yeah the, uh, you know again like it's really hard to outdo the original or at least make it as good and i think that the blob uh stands right up with the original in terms of time place era and just a quality sequel or not sequel remake it's just one it's one of the best examples of a remake yes you know? You know, so yeah, it's I love it. Well, you mentioned um, the effects work, and Tony Gardner definitely goes above and beyond. In fact, this is one of those films that, for anyone that wanted to know like good practical special effects from the '80s, just in terms of kind of a, a pull list, this one is unbelievable. But I wanted your guys' thoughts on uh, Paul McCrane is in this particular film, and just you know, spoiler alert, dies horribly in this film. But he also is, you know, if you guys know, he's a meal from RoboCop. RoboCop. And Doctor Rocket Romano in ER. Do you guys remember like his demises in those films? I actually, sorry, you guys, go ahead. No, yeah, I, I actually don't. I'm, I'm. So can't remember. Who, who is he in the blog? So he, he was the sheriff's deputy, the one that wanted to kill everybody. You're like, well, let's just go throw him away. Throw him. Yes, and he gets covered in toxic waste and Robocop. Yep. Yep. Yes. Yep. Yes. He gets, yeah. and then he gets um. And in folded. ER, yeah, he gets folded. He gets folded in the blob. And in ER, he gets uh, crushed by a helicopter. It's straight out of demons. It's horrible. Really? <laughs> I never watched ER, but he dies in ER by a helicopter. He actually gets his arm cut off by a helicopter blade. 
and it really messes him up and then he ultimately a helicopter literally falls on him it's something straight out of a <laughs> Filming with Toby Hooper. <laughs> oh, or John Landis. Or John Landis. Oh, oh John Landis. It fell like a fucking helicopter. <laughs> Everyone's I'm, looking at you like, what the fuck are you talking about? I was going to say, I'd like to make it off an apology to the family of Vic Morrow. Um, <laughs> they don't listen. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, the blob—it's true, and we we talked about the last episode. But it's just a this truly is, mean movie. Yeah, and it is absolutely deserved to be on the best uh, on a list of the best remakes of all time. But ultimately, only one can go forward, and so we're going to go ahead and we're going to start showing our work here. We're going to pit they live and the blob against each other. So again, we need to think back. You need to uh, open yourself up, much like Kathleen Kinmont in *Brighter Reanimator*. Show us what is closer to your heart here between They Live and The Blob from my parents' basement podcast. Start us off. Okay, so this is actually really, really difficult, and I honestly don't even know if I even can. (laughs) But The Blob definitely was close to my heart. I remember it coming out. I remember being excited about it. I don't know why I can remember this, but I can remember reading my local... Uh, newspaper and there was an article in the local newspaper about it coming out I was really excited about it, had a really cool poster with that guy coming through the jelly, mm-hmm. the jelly blob and everything like that and then uh, you know I saw it you know shortly after it, it hit video and it and it's just it was that perfect 80s party movie it's such a good time you know what I mean like it's fun and you know you, you, you've got a great you know anti-hero who becomes the hero it's got you know it's a popcorn film and, it, and it's it's a great popcorn film it's also a great example of that sort of late 80s special effects with the, uh, we, do, we can't show too much blood, but we can show slime. So we can <laughs> show goo. Yeah, so there's a, lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of slime in it. So it's definitely close to my heart. Whereas They Live, I didn't see it at that same time. I saw it when I was a little bit older, but that being said, I also saw They Live at a very uh, perfect time because all the politics and everything resonated with me in a way they wouldn't have if I was a kid. So I honestly don't think, like, the correct answer is it's a tie, but I'm not going to do that to you, so I'm going to go with the blob. It's closer to my heart. It's a tough one to go with. We appreciate your candor. <laughs> yeah, same here, because I was uh, such a huge fan of the original, um, and and, and I, I, I think John Carpenter, I think the blob needs more, um, it's, you know, people need to see it more. It, it does. It definitely needs. It's forgotten, and it, yeah. and it mm-hmm. it's like, and it's weird because you know you mentioned Chuck Russell direct, but Frank Darabont wrote it, right? Mm-hmm. The, yeah, like, and right. I mean, he's yeah. the pedigree behind it is incredible. Yeah. That makes sense why it's so strong. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and if you go back and revisit it, you're like, holy shit! Like this really was a strong film. Like there's a, like a lot of yeah. Frank Darabont in it. It's very likable. Yeah, and, and it's harder to okay. It's like they live was an awesome original script. It's harder to remake a movie that's as good, or even some people may think better than the original. Mm. So I think the blob takes it there. For me, for just for heart, it's They Live, only just because for whatever reason I saw it and liked it and loved it as a kid more. I also love the blob, but just for me, just straight up heart, I gotta go with They Live. I'm gonna have to echo with that. Um, they're both fantastic movies, and they're both really, really strong, but for heart, I have to go They Live. There's just something about that movie that I absolutely love. You know, I don't know if it's Roddy Piper. I don't know if it's anything or what. But 
for like for Genius McGee, it's They Live. And I will uh, transition that immediately. And the reason I'm going to pick They Live is not so much that I saw it in the theater, but because my really lasting impression is that last shot of the film, not necessarily of Roddy Piper flipping off the camera, but the girl that's riding the dude, and you see the bare boobs, which is the first <laughs> boobs I've seen in that film. And I'm like, oh my God. And he's like, what's wrong, baby? Right. And then you cut off. And that was immediately like, holy shit, what did I just watch? So. And everybody's looking, looking at Adam, and he's like, "What?" <laughs> and then yeah, the guys that are given a—they're talking about like uh, how George A. Romero and John Carpenter are ruining the today's kids. The little film critic on there—it's mm-hmm. wonderful. Yeah. So with a uh, let's see, three votes to two there on that one there. So now that's uh, in favor of they live. So let's think then a little bit. Let's let's uh, which of these films, if we took it away, would leave 1988 poorer? They live or the blob, and this is definitely a tough one here. So, because we're jerks, we're gonna let you guys uh, lead us into this uh, pathway here. What do you guys think on this one? Okay, so this this question I feel way less conflicted about. <laughs> um, I'm gonna say they live without a doubt because they live has actually is actually I think a stronger film today even than it was when it came out. Yeah. I think that it's 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 a progressive film. Like I say, like. Um, it's not the cheeseburger movie. It is because you've got Roddy Piper and it's ridiculous and everything like that. But let's not also forget the effects in it are incredible. Visually, it's a great film. John Carpenter's movies are always noted for being visually right. uh, important. And and the whole effect just of the of the black and white and everything, it's jarring. When you when when, when they first do that and you see that, oh, they're aliens or whatever, it's it's so it's shocking actually. And so it's this really weird movie that it's like cheesy and it's funny but it's also super serious and it's actually kind of scary i think i think the horror elements of it are 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 underrated and i think that honestly like a lot of john carpenter's movies will live on and they live is going to be like in the top three of that or something like that uh the blob is i think it's it's uh its main value is that it's one of the best remakes of all time and for whatever reason that that gets forgotten but uh, it's an 80s classic it's a great 80s movie it's also, I think, visually, uh, in, in terms of the effects and everything like that, pretty pretty progressive. It's a great movie, but I, I just don't think that it, it has the, the pedigree or whatever whatever bougie word I want to say <laughs> as, as, they, as they live. So I'm going to go they live. Nice. I'm going to go with the blob because of the effects. Uh, you know, it was such mm. a strong, like at the time, all those, hor- like every horror movie was trying to outdo each other with, with special effects, and I think they did... They did some spectacular stuff in the Blob remake, stuff that you, you, you didn't see in any other film and may mm-hmm. not see in any film again. So, I don't know. I think that, like, obviously, They Live is incredible, and it's a huge, huge, you know, movie, but I think that the Blob is kind of the underdog for me here. So yeah. I'm going to go with the underdog and, and say the Blob. I think the year would be a little poorer without it. I'm going to go with They Live. Uh, it's just... As much as I love The Blob, They Live's a much stronger movie with a lot more going on. So I, I think the year would be poorer without They Live in it, even though it didn't do well. So They Live for me. And also They Live, uh, as a vote uh, with that, They Live, you know, again, it's it's predicting shit that's happening now. I mean, yeah. you know, like, yeah. life is imitating art, you know. And it's a smart movie. It's a it smart, is a really smart and, movie. And I don't think that, that people were even necessarily me. Like, it didn't get good reviews when it came out. I remember it didn't get good yeah. reviews. Yeah, I don't think people like really a, got it. I don't it think was, it was sort of a two out of five it. movie kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Um, the Blob remake is a fantastic remake. It's one of the best. It's very gory. Got a great pedigree. Got a great story. It's got good special effects. Good kills. It's a, If you haven't seen it, if you're listeners, please go out and see it. That being said, if we took that movie away, we would still have the original. If we, do, if we took They Live away, we would be shooting ourselves in the foot. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to, for that, because like you said, it is still socially relevant. I mean, it is, and you know what? I think it's one of those movies that will still be socially relevant 30 years from now. Um, <clears throat> it'll probably be remade by then, but, <laughs> but I think we almost as a society might be worse off if there was no They Live. Yeah, unfortunately, as long as there's badness, this movie will be relevant. And honestly, to me, good horror can always make you think. Mm -hmm. It can always elevate the material that can transcend the genre. And this is one of those true pieces that does that. That being said, go and give the blob some love. Yeah, go show the blob some love. It's I, I cannot help but give without they live from 1988 we would be in a, a rut. If, if this was if the blob was going against almost any other movie in our bracket, it wouldn't be that difficult. You know what I'm saying? Because it's just the blob versus they live. Those are two super 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 strong good underseen and underappreciated movies. And by a score of seven to two, apparently something moves the blob. And it is John Carpenter, so they live, and Hellraiser 2 are going to be battling it in the next round. Holy Man, shit. That's going to be a fight right there. That will be truly a fight, but uh, we have uh, the From My Parents' Basement podcast to thank for that. You guys, Aaron, Eric, and Gary, thank you so freaking much for taking the time to talk and debate and all that kind of good stuff with us. Oh, it's no problem, eh? that that is the first a i've heard on this podcast i was gonna say i was slightly disappointed (laughs) we don't actually talk like that i know when we're having fun you guys go into uh if you guys ever go to alberta you will hear some funny canadian accents over there if you go western canada you oh yeah oh yeah shit if you go west southern kansas you're gonna hear some funny accents here So uh, before we leave you guys, again, remind our listeners, where can they find you out on the social media? Yeah, uh, from, my bar- from my parents' basement podcast, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook page, uh, like, subscribe, share. Yeah, we're on iTunes, we're on SoundCloud, we're all, we're all, we're all, up, we're all up in its guts. All up in it. Uh, we should also mention that the original name the podcast was actually my parents basement was it not yeah but we changed that because there was four other podcasts with that name that were all about parenting <laughs> <laughs> gotta, gotta get creative but thank you guys for actually this was a lot of fun actually this was actually uh even more fun than i expected yeah I expected yeah it really to be good, a good discussion time. on these films indeed so well good idea and i think you guys did a really good job of breaking it down and not just making a free-for-all well thanks man yeah, thanks man we we'll definitely keep the invite open for you guys at any point and you know what it's only as good as the guests oh you guys are so sweet eh flattery will get you everywhere eh you're even nicer than canadians eh <laughs> well you heard it here first gang so uh, we're going to take a break and when we come back we're going to be joined by uh justin lore from the horror business podcast to talk hellraiser 2 and they live we will talk to you soon hey this is adam green creator of the hatchet franchise and the tv show holliston and you are listening to nightmare junkhead all right gang we are back now as we go from the round of the Scream 16 into the round of the Hateful Eight, hmm. uh, I'd like to go ahead and thank Eric, 
Aaron and Gary from the From My Parents Basement podcast yeah. as uh, they helped us say goodbye to Halloween 4 <laughs> and The Blob. But as we say goodbye to those two films, we do say hello to another podcast that you guys should be listening to. So the whole thing of The Hateful Eight is we're going beyond the Phantom Podcast Network. Mm-hmm. Phantom. If you will. Uh, beyond Phantom. And dare I say beyond Thunderdome, if two, you will. Two films enter. One film leaves. Indeed. Because in the round of The Fateful Eight, dun, 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 dun. we go very much Thunderdome. And to do so, we're bringing in another podcast outside of the Phantom Podcast. And that's what we love to do here. Basically, a lot of the podcasts that I listen to. Now, if you guys listened last year, you heard one half of our next podcast talk a little 1977 madness with us. Uh, and now we're flash forwarding all the way to the 80s here. And now we're getting the other half of one of my favorite horror podcasts out there. Uh, welcome to Nightmare Junkhead for the first time from the horror business podcast, Justin Lore. Thank you. You guys really talked me up there. I feel... Uh... <sighs> Got me blushing over here. I'm all, <laughs> all worked up. Got the vapors. Heavens. Yeah. <laughs> so before we get into all the crazy madness and everything, uh, where can our listeners find you out on the social media? Please plug and promote away everything you can find out on the interwebs. I, I generally refer people to um, uh, Hard Business. Hard Business is part of a larger uh, podcast network, the Cinepunks Network. Mm-hmm. We are the only horror-related thing on there at the moment. Um, you can check us out at www.cinepunks.com. Um, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X dot com. Um, that's where I usually, anytime anyone has any questions about it, I might just go there. That's where all our episodes are. Uh, we have a Twitter account. Um, it is the Harbiz666 on Twitter. Um, that's pretty much the only, I mean, we have like a Facebook group, but I don't, just something about Twitter and the nature of Twitter lends itself to be more conducive to actual interaction with people than I think a Facebook group does. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's just me personally, but we are, we're also on Facebook at the Harbiz 666. Uh, but yeah, Twitter would probably be the best way to actually interact with, I generally handle, handle all the stuff on Twitter. Um, so if you interact with someone on there, you're probably talking to me, um, but to actually <laughs> listen to the podcast, you can check us out, check us out on iTunes or www.cinepunks.com. And you mentioned you're part of the Cinepunks podcast network, and that's actually how I was referred over to you because I was a fan of, uh, Liam's Cinepunks podcast. And then when I realized he was doing a horror podcast, I was introduced to the world of Justin and I just, <laughs> I love the chemistry you guys have. And also I just really like just the commentary that you guys get in on the films that you choose and that's why I keep coming back. So um, I appreciate you taking the time out and talking, you know, these kind of films with us. Oh, man, that, I appreciate you saying that. That really that seriously means the world to me. It's, uh, you know, I, I know I, I tend to come off as a bit of a, you know, a bit of a goofball and a weirdo. But <laughs> I, I think like horror movies and, you know, horror in general is, is, a, is a rather big part of my life uh, for better or for worse. And to actually connect with people. Um, and to have people appreciate that, it, it means a lot. It means the, the world to me. Well, not you know, not literally the world, but it means a lot. Now, to borrow a term from Joe Lynch, we will definitely wax your car here. Uh, <laughs> how did the actual <laughs> podcast itself come together? How did Horror Business, what was the origin of that? Um, I, the, the way it started was um, I am the, the, the type of person, I, I need to be doing stuff um, creatively. Uh, whether it be like, you know, writing or you know, watching movies or anything like that. I, I need to, to, to be involved. And, um, I mean, we'll talk about it in a little bit, but I, I've been a fan of horror movies literally for as long as I can remember. And 
the idea for the podcast actually came from um, every Halloween for as long as Facebook has been around. So we're talking 11, 12 years now. Every Halloween I would get hit up by people like, yo, what, what movie should it look like? You're the hard guy. Like, what should I watch? <laughs> and originally it was like, I would be like, oh, you should watch like, you know, the classics, like watch like Evil Dead 2 and like The Thing and you know, The Blob and stuff like this. But then I was like, you know, I want to like tell these people to watch movies that like they might not be exposed to. Like they're asking me, they could have just gone to Google and been like, Hey Google, what are the top ten best <laughs> Halloween movies? You know what I mean? They came to me because yep. they're like, yeah. uh, well, maybe some of them came to me because they wanted, you know, what are what are what are some of your personal favorites? Like, what do you want to watch? And I always get like, anytime like a new, like I cannot tell you. And let me be clear, I don't mind that people are doing this, but I cannot tell you how many times in the past two or three months I've gotten messages on Facebook or text or whatever, like, yo, what's up with that Quiet Place trailer? What do you think about that? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> fuck, that looks so cool. Let's talk about that. Like, that's how it always is. Like, people are always like, uh, anytime like, there's like a bit, I mean, uh, I guess the most recent example was when um, Andy Machete's It came out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There were so many people, like, I mean, I, I am a, I mean, you've probably listened to the episode. Like I, like that book changed my life. I mean, it's, it's like, you could, you could probably look at that and like, my life could be divided into like pre it and like, po like AC, <laughs> like, like BC AD. I mean, and, uh, there was a lot of people like asking like, what did you think about it? Like, should I go see it? And I was like, well, I'm kind of a crazy person whose opinion might not make much sense. It might come off as kind of intimidating and weird, but you're going to listen to it anyway. So here's why you should watch it or here's why you should listen to it. Um, but to kind of tie it all together, this podcast came out came up, it was the result of me being like, how could I instead of posting instead of watching a movie and then posting about it on Facebook, these long opinions that nobody needed to hear or wanted to read, <laughs> how could I get my opinion about horror movies out there easier? And I was like, maybe I'll do a podcast. Uh, so I picked the name because you know I'm a huge Misfits fan. Mm -hmm. um, I did I think three episodes on my own. Yeah, I did the, the first episode I did was um, it was about uh, zombie films, um, specifically like, you know, George Marrow's of the Dead series. And, uh, you know, more specifically, it was about how movies like uh, 28 Days Later and Zombieland and, um, you know, that sort of like post-millennial uh, were fighting against things that used to be us, but now they're not because of some weird disease and they run fast and they eat people. Uh, so we're just going to call them zombies because we've never watched like a George Romero film. We don't know what <laughs> zombies actually are uh, like the post Zack Snyder zombie. Mm -hmm. No, even, even though Zack Snyder had the decency to, you know, make them actual zombies. That's what that episode was about. And the next episode was about, I think I did one on like werewolf movies. Uh, just all cards on the table. My favorite horror movie of all time is an American werewolf in London. And so that was just something cool to talk about. And then I did an episode on alien abduction movies. Um, oh, that'll make that you was, bunch up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the way, the way like Liam got involved is I knew Liam um, just from going to shows. And this is when Harbizus first started, he was still living in Philadelphia. Uh, I live about maybe an hour and a half north of Philly. Uh, Liam lives in the same town now. And, you know, he was just a guy I knew, you know, he's a friend of a friend. And then when he moved up here, um, he contacted me and was like, look, I will, you can host hard business. Like Cinepunks will host it for you and I'll do all the technical work. You can do that. But the one condition is 
you have to let me co-host the podcast with you. <laughs> and I was like, okay. I mean, it's I get to hang out with a with with Liam and watch movies. And Liam later said he was like, yeah, that was just basically like, you know, I didn't have any friends up here and I needed someone to watch movies with. And I figured, why the hell not? Like, we might as well watch the movies together. Be productive so how, while you're that's at how, it. That's how Liam, that's how Liam and I uh, we created this uh, this thing that it is now. And I mean, it's fun. I, I you know, I, I yeah. you know, Liam and I. Mm-hmm. One of the things I like about it is like Liam and I are, are actually friends outside of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Like we hang out and you know. We we do stuff besides watch horror movies. Um, you know, it, if there if it seems like there's like chemistry there, it's because there is chemistry there. It's because Liam and I actually enjoy each other's company. It's not like the dudes on MythBusters who secretly hate each other, but they have to do it for a TV show. Like, uh, I think a lot of the, the the ribbing that Liam and I give each other on, on on these episodes, it comes from a very real place because, you know, he's my friend, and you have to do things. You know, you you can't do something creative like this. If there isn't some kind of, uh, you know, some kind of chemistry, like like you guys said, mm-hmm. so that's basically where uh, where all that came from, and that's that's you've peeked behind the curtain at the wizard. I know from uh, seen- from horror Google to horror business, if you will, there from everyone's entranceway. Well, you kind of mentioned a little. It's always, horror has always been a part to your part of your life, and mm-hmm. that's something we always ask some of our first timers here: is what was it that actually got you into horror? You know, was it a movie? Was it a book? Was it a moment? What was well, that initial thing that made you go, I can really dig on horror? It's it's weird because I can I can look back. I don't know. I honestly don't know what came first because it was so long ago. But <laughs> when I was a kid, I had um, my dad's youngest brother um, was my Uncle Mike who passed away when I was a teenager. But he was like the archetypical cool uncle. You know, <laughs> he was like when I was like six or seven, he was like 19 or 20. Um, he was like, like I first heard of Metallica from him because yep. he was like, yo, you should check this out. And like, yep. my, my grandmother's like a born again Christian and Christian. And she was like, you can't don't, that's <laughs> like, don't let him. But I remember him. I was over at my grandmother's house for some reason. And he was there. And somehow I ended up watching the original night of the living night of the living dead with him. And I don't really remember much from it. All I remember is that my grandmother was like livid <laughs> and, uh, like not into it at all. But then like, aside from that. Uh, again, the and these these are like my, my first memories of like horror films. Yeah. Um, I had my next door neighbor when I was again six or seven years old. Um, the one day he was telling me about this movie he had watched, and he was like, "Yeah, there was like these like guys in this like they were in this like office, and this there was this other guy who like turned into like a werewolf, and I think it was like an alien, and you know it was just like really crazy." And I was like, what the f-? I mean, he was, he was talking about John Carpenter's The Thing. <laughs> and uh, I was like, what the fuck is he talking about? And then later, luckily, it was on like TNT. So it was like, it was one of those like reoccurring, you know, yeah. it's like tonight, yep. like Friday night, 8 o'clock, they would show The Thing. Saturday, 8 o'clock, they would show The Thing. And I ended up watching some of it. And I remember distinctly being afraid of like, Okay, so you know how like most like monster movies, like oh, it's like Frankenstein's monster. You wave a torch at it and it goes away. Or mm. werewolf, you can shoot it with a silver bullet. If it's Dracula, you can kill it with a stake. I-, I was like, how do I fight? Like, how do I fight the thing? And I was like laying in bed and I was like, okay, my parents are definitely aliens. They're they're copies. They're gonna kill me. <laughs> my baby sister is also an alien, and the dog is also an alien. Like, what am I gonna do? And then uh. As I got older, and I could appreciate like, um, oh, this this movie's cool because like Carpenter used like, you know, light and shadow to really mm-hmm. not only create mood but cover up shortcomings of like practical effects and like, that's still a movie to me. Like I watch that movie, 
I've probably watched that movie at least a hundred times. And yeah. when I'm 90 years old, I could watch that movie and be like, oh, fuck, man. When that dog comes out of the shed, like, holy shit. Like, when it create, when it, you know, assimilates the other dogs and, like, oh, that yeah. that stuff is, like, actual art. It's timeless. Um, well, you mentioned that, how do you defeat the thing, and I think the answer is obvious. It's it's diabetes. Nah, I'm all right. Yeah, yeah. Let me in. Bring my testing supplies. Side <laughs> note: Up until like two years ago, I thought Wilford Brimley, Brimley was dead, and then he was at a horror <laughs> convention, and I was like, "Holy fuck, man!" Like he's still with us. Wilford Brimley was at a horror convention. Like Mr. Brimley, will you sign this? Longer eat your Quaker oats. It's the right thing yeah. to do, you know. He was also like a stout. I have a. I have the. Um, the Drew Struzan uh, artwork for the poster of the thing tattooed on my shin. Like my my right leg is all like dedicated to like horror movie art. Mm-hmm. And he was like blown away by this. Like and it was cool because it was like a thing reunion. So it was him, um, Tommy Waits, not the singer Tom Waits, the guy who played. Uh, <laughs> I wish he was there. That would have been incredible. Man, the glowworm is pleased to hide. Yeah, there's a man at a research station and a dog on the prowl. Like, <laughs> he like called these other guys over to like look at my leg. He was like, "Look at this shit." And I was wow. Like, yeah. You look like, at it. <laughs> it's the right thing yeah. to do. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's like horror is always, you know, it's it's always had a, a huge role in my life. Um, I mean, I, I uh, if you, you know, you, you've probably heard Liam talk about it on the show. Like, uh, I am one of the worst people to watch horror movies with because I have a visceral, rea- a visceral <laughs> reaction to everything. Uh, I actually, when we did our episode on Fire in the Sky and Dark Skies, um, I had to take a Xanax before watching those I... movies because I was like so terrified. <laughs> I can't blame you. At all, yeah, no. At all. <laughs> Those movies are so cringe-inducing. Yeah, and fuck all that fire in the sky, nightmare <laughs> fuel. That, oh, uh, that I know, yeah, and a lot that, of people won't even consider them horror. And I'm like, no, that is straight no, that, horror. Yeah. That, that was actually I, I remember seeing Fire in the Sky when I was like maybe nine, nine uh, or ten years old. And oh no, 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 no! I watched it once with my dad, and I was like, okay, that's never gonna happen again. <laughs> and then in high school, I tried watching again. I was like, nah, I'm still good. And then in college. Uh, someone was like, "Hey, we should watch Fire in the Sky." You know, as we have, you know having like people over, and I was like, "I'm just gonna go to bed." And then, you know, people like, "I'm like, no, I'm completely serious. Like, if you put me on, my night's over. I'm done." And it's funny when we did, when we did that episode, um, I stopped at my mom and dad's house before coming up to Liam's, and I was like talking to my mom about it, and she's like, "Why do you even have to watch that movie? You've, you've seen it how many times?" And I was like, "I've probably watched it to completion three times, maybe, because it's just I can't handle it." I met D.B. Sweeney at a horror convention, and I was like, you're fucking – you're real, so now the aliens are real, and I am i don't know what, what, what makes sense. <laughs> I'm never going to sleep again. Thanks a lot, yeah. Mr. Sweeney. Oh, that – no, that movie is just n- pure, pure nightmare fuel. Yeah. But it also kind of represents, like, the diversity and breadth of horror that it can exist in so many different places. And obviously here in 88, I mean, we just had some phenomenal horror films, mm-hmm. but it's come down to two of them. And we brought you in, Justin, because we're going to talk these two films. And I mean, I couldn't imagine two films that are kind of tonally different, Mm -hmm. but are also truly terrifying. We are still talking Hellbound, Hellraiser 2. Come to daddy. And and they live. John Carpenter's They Live. So we're going to start it off with our guest here. Uh, Justin, which one would you like to start talking about first? Um... Given... I've been given a lot of thought to the questions that are going to come up in this. (laughs) Uh, I'll say up front, I think that... They Live is probably, um, quote unquote, technically a better film. You know, cinematography, directing, script, acting, all that stuff. And I, th- 
but I, but I, 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 I gotta admit, I like Hellbound more. I, I'm just, oh. I, I'm just one of those people. Like we talked about it in the, uh, the, the, the new episode that we're gonna, we're gonna put up, uh, probably maybe, maybe tonight. Like I had watched Hellraiser Judgment, mm-hmm. and oh, I was like, yeah. I didn't hate it. And, like, <laughs> Liam was like, you're fucking crazy for like anything <laughs> past Hellraiser two. Like you're actually insane. I'm like, nah, five and six, it's... they're kind of four. They're in space. It's kind of cool. Like, <laughs> So you, you celebrate I, the entire catalog. <laughs> oh, it's 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 definitely like I I think I made it. I didn't oh, I I couldn't stomach Hellraiser Revelations, but like the the Hellraiser franchise. And again, I I, I can't stress enough how much I I, I do love uh, They Live and, and John Carpenter. But I, I I think honestly, from a personal preference, if someone was like, "Do you want to watch They Live or do you want to watch?" Uh, you know, Hellbound. I'd be like, yeah, put Hellbound on. It's mm-hmm. like a safer movie for me. I don't know. It's 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 easier to ingest because they live is so heady, mm-hmm. and Hellraiser too. It just it's so much fun. Do you remember actually kind of your first interaction with it? Uh, well, here's a, I always get like, I always get uh, that like my memories of seeing that in the first Hellraiser movie are kind of like blurred. Yeah. yeah. Because like there was a period of time in high school where. Uh, like every Friday or Saturday night, um, my one friend Andrew, who we've he was on an episode we did a few a few months back um, when we did nine seven six evil. <laughs> he and I we would we would just go to like a, like a, like the Blockbuster or the West West Coast Video was the one in, in in Eastern Pennsylvania we would go to, and we would just get like we'd be like, which has the best? I mean, I'm sure I, I know you guys yep. do this. Which has the best like cover art? Cover art, and you got it. It's yeah. like grotesquely misleading, but other times you're like, holy fuck, we've struck gold. <laughs> and, um, we had gotten, I think we watched Hellraiser, the first three Hellraiser films. I I, I saw with him for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't really have any specific memories of like, of, 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 of exactly like, I want to say maybe sophomore year of high school, freshman, sophomore year of high school. Uh, all I remember about, you know, watching those movies was if you can ever, if you ever find like a copy of Hellraiser on VHS, there's a commercial at the end for Hellraiser merchandise. The merchandise, it's yes. Like, <laughs> it's so, it's so insane because they're, they're reaching so hard to make things like, because they're, they're trying to be, they can't just say like, you want a fucking mug? Here's your mug. You want like a thermos? Like, because no one, who wants to buy a Hellraiser? I mean, well, now. No, I, oh, no, yeah. I would kill for one of those Hellraiser 2 satin jackets. Yes. And they're, they're, the way they're, they're like, you know, it keeps, you know, this Hellraiser thermos, it keeps your cold drinks cold and your hot drinks hot. Like hell. Um, but I, 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 I do remember uh, loving the first two Hellraiser films, and till this day, I, I can't stand Hellraiser three. I, I cannot take that movie. It's just, ugh. it's well, and I think why the first, and I will defend the third one, but yeah, I think the reason the first two still work so well is because the Cenobites are still the peripheral characters. Mm-hmm. Yes. And yes. part three is when you really get you. They made they made Pinhead the the main slasher. When he was like, like you said in the first two, he was just kind of sideline. It was Frank and Julia, and I think yeah, part two you'd get more of Julia. So I that's actually what is and for me, Hellraiser two. One of the you know the highlights are the gore. Mm-hmm. Is there anything in there just for you, Justin, that sticks out? Uh, just gore. In Hellraiser two. Yeah, in Hellraiser two. Um, I think the scene with the um. Okay. Where the doctor he brings the one patient in who's like hallucinating. Oh, about yeah. Books. Oof. Um, I'm not like a, I mean, I'm not like, oh yeah, let roaches crawl over me. But like <laughs> at the same time, I'm also like, this shit's a little icky. You know, like, it's, oh, it's, like 
centipedes make me want to throw up and like ro- the sight of roaches it make but like in movies i'm like i don't really like uh, the halloween 3 doesn't freak me out because there's roaches in it you know what i mean mm-hmm. like but there's what? something about the, uh, the I, I think that scene creeps me out because it's a person who is um deeply distressed yes. by something that is is entirely in their head and then you have that you have a doctor acting completely like a doctor a mm-hmm. fucking doctor who's supposed to help someone using these people for god knows what um so you have this man suffering you have a doctor like looking on and being totally cool with it and then julia comes out of the fucking mattress scary as shit just skin just eats him Mm-hmm. And that that jump scare, I forgot about that. And he's just because Julia just oh wide eyed rat, and you're like, oh so shit, terrifying. there's a skinless girl in the, coming out of the bed, and she's and she's like, and she's just like crawling. While meanwhile, he's like scraping the shit off like a fucking cheese grater. Oh, yeah. quick question about your roaches fear. Yeah. What do you think about Creep Show? Uh, that doesn't bother. Uh, it does. The, you're you're talking about the faint the the, the the end sequence with all the roaches and everything like that. Yeah. That doesn't that doesn't phase me. Didn't get uh, you. Didn't get you. I mean, it, it's 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 creepy. Um, uh, and I certainly wouldn't want to be in that situation. Um, <laughs> but uh, I have when it comes to like icky things, I'm a I'm I'm roaches and stuff like that and spiders. I'm like, eh, they're they're they they are what they are. Like I don't mm-hmm. want them in my house, but you know, I'm not like. But like, the thought I'm thinking about earthworms right now. Earthworms. Oh no! Oh no! And I'm like, oh, like I just the, the, their 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 very existence causes me offense. Never watch the movie Squirm if that's the I case. That. Which I, I, I was gonna I, say, I unfortunately, watch that at a at a drive-in double feature this oh, past summer. Oh no! And I was like, why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> you know what? That's the fun thing with some horror flicks. You know, you just got to push yourself. It's an endurance thing. And speaking of icky, even before the guy gets on the mattress, that mattress in the doctor's office was icky as shit. That and was that, disgusting. And it was just the gnarliest, like, dumpster mattress it, you it was, could find. It, and fucking Frank doing exactly. God knows what in there exactly. for right. before they show up. Right. Doing all sorts of fucking unmentionable crimes on this mattress right, shine like, a black light on that Jackson thing Jackson Pollock just splatter yeah. painting everywhere cool. like fuck it like, and then it, it made it stick out more because you're in this prim proper British guy's like a doctor's office of course he has like, like medical in- curiosities and shit but because you're not an evil you're not a good evil doctor if you don't have a formaldehyde jar with medical curiosities at some oh, yeah. point in time that's, what all, that's how you know they're evil like right? if, if you walk in it doesn't matter if a doctor's like cackling and tinting his fingers if there's no formaldehyde jar you're like oh, I'm safe I'm good right. like, then you got that but he could Go on. <laughs> I was gonna say, but he could be like the nicest guy in the world. But if you walk in and there's a jar, I mean, I, I mean, a jar of anything. Right. You're like, ah, this guy. Even a fucking suspect. pickle jar, you know, it doesn't yeah. have to be like a two-headed baby or something. It's just a fucking, yeah. just like, ooh, you're skeezy, doctor. God yeah. forbid they're into canning. Otherwise, <laughs> they take up canning as a uh, or as like a... a doc, a doctor on the weekends and a professional like survivalist on the yeah. <laughs> gonna bury this fetus out in the woods in case you know the commies ever nuke us <laughs> well they kind of go a little bit more adept into kind of the mythology in part two as well which i like because you get julia's kind of like little exploration uh, mm-hmm. tour guide with dr chenard in the whole leviathan aspect um, um, the, the idea of the leviathan and the cenobites i think this movie um i i think a, a problem that a lot of horror movies make, or I'm, I'm sorry, not a problem, a mistake a lot of <laughs> horror movies make is uh, 
there are certain filmmakers who don't know when to stop explaining things. There are certain filmmakers who, who they don't understand that sometimes, uh, to quote Mike Mignola and Hellboy, sometimes not knowing is, is a, it actually makes the experience better. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 it's, it's a, it's a problem. It, it's something that certain, uh, certain creators can pull off. I think, uh, I think Lovecraft was very adept at, you know, when the protagonist would finally gaze upon the horror that had been haunting the whole time, it was horrific beyond description. You're like, like now I'm like, oh, he's just a fucking lazy piece of shit who didn't want to write what this thing looked like. But at the time you're like, oh no, like what you're imagining is actually like far more terrifying, which is mm-hmm. almost never true. Um, but I, I think in this movie, like I didn't want like a deep, like deep, deep, deep diving into the in, into the Cenobite mythos. But I do appreciate when Dr. Shenard gets turned into a Cenobite. That's fucking weird. And you see just enough for it to be like – like if they had explained – like I mean not that they would ever do this. But if, if like another Cenobite had come out and been like, yes, first we're going to remove <laughs> your organs and inject you with this embalming <laughs> fluid. Oh, ho, ho. I'd have been like, you know, just get out of here. But instead we're treated to a pod coming out of the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, he get, Julia pushes him in there. He gets – mummified i guess and then you're like oh this can't possibly get any worse and then a fucking tentacle comes from the void Mm -hmm. i don't know where and drills for no reason Mm -hmm. and again i'm i'm like cool fine that's what happens in hell weird shit happens i'm on board with it (laughs) and to think he hesitated for a second right i was just about to say that that. yeah well and it's amazing like you said they're actually they're doing they're actually showing you rather than telling Mm mm-hmm and yes, yes. your mind gets to make those connections, and good God, they make him kind of this uber Cenobite, yeah. but it works because he's the one that, in looking back now, obviously, they kind of retrofitted bringing you know, uh, Pinhead back, but he lays, he cleans the floor with all the Cenobites. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think Hellraiser 2 goes right up to the edge of what is acceptable and what is corny like yeah. some of like the idea of like a like a like a cenobite without the of an immoral not an amoral cenobite but an immoral cenobite because what people again like you had touched upon it earlier what people don't often understand about those early hellraiser movies is that pinhead and the chatter and butterball and the female cenobite they weren't really bad mm-hmm. they were they, just they 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 had they had you know, they were just amoral. They were just were, you know, they're explorers in the furthest realm of sensations. They didn't have time for morality. Angels to you know some, I mean? they, demons to others. others. Yeah, yeah. But like Dr. Shannard was fucking evil. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like was was actually like a like a bad person. And like some of the stuff he's I mean, it's it's scary when he goes and he just massacres that hospital. That's like, whoa. But some of the shit he says is like, all right, like you're getting into like Nightmare on Elm Street mm-hmm. for territory. Like you need to just tone it down <laughs> a little bit. Well, and again, this is this is 1988. You Freddy is in his fourth oh, film. Yes. Yes. You're flooded, and honestly, this film only coming out a year after. Really quick, really quickly, which I think could ra- really raise some some eyebrows with a lot of people because that's so quick. Well, even some red flags. I mean, you think they don't even have enough time to really mm-hmm. diminishing return. Mm-hmm. A lot of different aspects of it, but well, for them to come I, out so strong i will give it credit for one thing is they they very easily could have tried to make it a little more commercial they very mm-hmm. easily with the sequel they yeah. could have mm-hmm. they could have tried to make uh pinhead and the cenobites more the focus mm-hmm. but instead they kept them as peripheral characters and then i i mean i i don't know if 
I don't know if anyone after seeing Hellraiser was like, who the fuck is in charge of these things? But, <laughs> but the filmmakers were like, well, we're going to show you who's in charge yep. of them. It's a giant diamond that spins yeah. above a maze. Like, not like the devil, not like a head demon, but this, it, it, a diamond, like a spinning diamond that emits black light and scares everyone. Like, I, I think that's kind of ballsy on the filmmakers' mm-hmm. part to yeah. just be like, instead of giving you a sequel where, like, we're just going to try to one-up the original, they just kept the original, the spirit of the original, and just made it far, far more weirder. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they stayed true, keeping humanity at its worst. They are the true monsters. And another thing I like about this movie, where it could have derailed really easily in a case of too many villains. Yeah. You know, too many villains can definitely bog down a movie. And in this one, on paper, it seems like you have a lot of villains. You have the Doctor. You have Julia. You have Frank. You have all the Cenobites. And then you have Super Cenobite. And then the Leviathan in a roundabout way. And then the Behemoth monster as well. Yeah, yeah. But it works yeah. because they kind of all dispatch each other in a way where you can really trust nobody except like <laughs> a mute. Ashley Lawrence. Yeah, yeah. Ashley, <laughs> right? A puzzler. Yes. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, I mean, it, it, this, is, this is a movie that very easily could have gone off the rails and become like something just like cluttered and, and, and horrible. Um, I mean, just look at Spider-Man 3. Like oh, it's mm-hmm. an unwatchable pile of shit because there's too many villains in it. And this movie somehow doesn't. You know, it it, it, it stays on track. Um, it keeps the villains, uh, you know, interacting with each other. Like Julia's playing everyone, mm-hmm. um, which is which is I, I think like a, a, a great uh, a great choice because I, I the actress's name escapes me. I feel horrible about it because she's amazing. Um, it's uh, Claire it, Higgins. Claire Higgins, yes, yes. Yep. Um, she's awesome. And yeah. it, it just it, it does something that uh, again I I think a lot of those later films uh, really didn't do. It was they they, they 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 didn't they lost sight of the fact that like it's the people that are terrible. Mm-hmm, these pin mm-hmm. you know these pinheads. The Cenobites are just kind of like <laughs> and we're just doing only what you will only really what you want us to do. We're just in you know off in the corner while you're doing terrible unmentionable shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, I like I like I said earlier, I, I do think that the ending of this movie with the uh, Doctor Shenard Cenobite, I really think that hints at what is to come with making um, the Cenobites the, the the focus and making Pinhead the the uh, for better or worse iconic character that mm-hmm. he has become to ninety nine point nine percent of the population who know what Hellraiser is. Indeed, indeed. Well, and it's the rare. It's one of those rare sequels that really can up a lot of the the quotient, but keep it level. Well, and even when it's it's, it's gorgeous and it, it's still really pretty. I mean, just yeah. the whole oh, set beautiful. designs with the the labyrinthine and then the matte painting backgrounds, just oh. gorgeous. Yeah, and actually, it's uh, Robin Vitagon uh, was the DP on this film, and yeah, and it still looks. I mean, it looks like a Hellraiser film should. I mean, even the Cenobites, there 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 is still like you watch. Um, you watch these movies and there's something that's like, I don't know. There, there's just, there, 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 I've never seen, I've never seen a movie that's like those first two Hellraiser movies. I've never mm-hmm. seen anything like it. Like Nightbreed comes close. And I think maybe that's just because that's another like Clive Barker mm-hmm. film, but yeah. just the way the Cenobites look, it's so, I think people kind of take it for granted because it's so ingrained in like horror culture. But like when you really sit down and think about it, when you really think about what Pinhead looks like, that makes zero sense. Like, <laughs> what the fuck is that? You know, like, Freddy's like a burnt pedophile. Right. Cool. Leatherface, he wears skin. Uh, 
okay, Ed Gein, I get that. You know, Michael Myers, uh, the William Shatner mask. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, like, Pinhead is just like, oh, he's a fucking guy, a hell priest with pins in his head. Like, it- what? <laughs> well, I think the beauty of that, though, is that those, it's just that whole S&M feeling, that aesthetic they're going for. And again, it's just beyond our imagination. Oh, it's, I mean, it's, it's 100% Clive Barker being a big old weirdo. Oh, yeah, yeah, it is. yeah which, it is. Is, which is beautiful. Yeah. And I love him for it. Um, but... but- yeah, the the aesthetic the aesthetic of those movies uh, again, especially the first two, and it's especially the second one. It's really just like otherworldly in the in the purest uh, sense of the phrase. Well, speaking of otherworldly, let's get into a little bit with the second film that it's going up against here. We dished a lot of love on Hellraiser two, but you got to look at that other world and what's happening when mm-hmm. that other world comes down to us here. This is your god now, John Carpenter is coming for us. It's the. <laughs> It's one of those films that's timeless in its message, but JC kind of in his most punk rock there. Uh, Justin, your thoughts on They Live? Uh, I actually love this movie. I mean, <laughs> no, no, no surprise there. Um, for such a movie that for a movie that is so on the nose, which I typically I really don't like movies that are like, you see this movie? You see what this is actually about? <laughs> this is actually about this. You get it? You see? You get it? I'm like, nah, I'm, I'm totally cool with that. I'm <laughs> I'm I'm on board with all, everything this movie brings to the table. I'm like, I'll, I'll sign off on it. Um, it's uh, as 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 a kid, it also had the uh, the, the 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 added spice of a uh, fucking Rowdy Roddy Piper, the yep. greatest wrestling heel of all time. You know, <laughs> yep. uh, so that was always that, yep. that was a plus for me when I was a kid. Um, but no, this this is just like I mean, it, this is like it's it's like classic Carpenter, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I don't mean like th- this movie. I think is it, it's not like like Halloween is great, but Halloween is not peak Carpenter. Like that's a great movie, but I really think when 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 most people think about like what makes a John Carpenter film a John Carpenter film, uh, they live embodies a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Like the really mm-hmm. subtle social commentary. The, the the music, oh, which is yeah that weird slow kind of western you know, yeah, um, and then just like there 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 are just certain <laughs> shots in that movie that are, you know, particularly when, um, Piper is in this in in the in the store and mm-hmm. the, 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 the 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 produce aisle. Yeah, and they realize that he's onto them, and they're all walking oh, out of like, that's frightening. their watches. Mm-hmm. That is fucking terrifying, and, and not just because they're spooky aliens, but it, it's it's the idea like I think it's the it's the concept of like people doing like a bunch of people doing something in sync. <laughs> yes. That, isn't like a military maneuver <laughs> a flash just... mob of evil <laughs> exactly yeah and there's also other points in that movie like when um when the homeless camp gets raided and all the cops are like marching yeah. like lockstep and shooting there's something like there's something distinctly like weird and and and, and creepy about that as well and terrifying it's menacing oh, very terrifying yeah, no, there's it's one of those films that's oddly more prescient now than I think it was released then, but we're going to go into that. So, this is the part of Got a little bit of buck flowers in it. We'll too. get we'll get into you there, buck. <laughs> But no, this is the part of the show there where we need to go ahead and two. We got two wonderful films, but only one can go forward. And we've we, again we've heaped a lot of love on them. But at this point, we're going to show our work when it comes to uh, you know really whittling down here. So we've got two criteria that we're going to talk about. The first thing we're going to look at, and this is where it gets a little bit more subjective. So I'm going to pose you guys this: Which of these two films, Hellraiser Two or They Live, fits a better '80s aesthetic? 
And I leave it up to you, to you, but you've got to define what is your definition of an 80s aesthetic and then defend which one you think is a little bit more. So, Justin, do you want to go ahead and get us started on that? Sure. Um, I, I'm going to say They Live does, uh, if only because it really defines not just like – it goes beyond just filmmaking. Um, this movie came at a time uh, – this 88, so we're talking like the end of the Reagan era yep. when – the country was like, what the fuck is going to happen? And I think there's a lot of, not only like a lot of nervousness about what was going on, because this is also shortly after the, you know, this is still Cold War era America. This Mm -hmm. is like the tail end of the Cold War where, you know, so people always say like, oh, it's about the communist and, you know, Hmm. the communist infiltrating us. And it's like, well, there's also the, you know, let's not forget that our two main characters are people who are struggling financially, struggling badly. Like Piper, they're both homeless. You know, they make references like there's these steel factories back east closing up. You know, these banks are falling left and right. So that's a very 80s feeling. The feeling of like, what the hell's going on here? Like, what's up with like big business? Like, and then on top of that, you got Piper's character who, even though all this terrible shit is happening, even in the beginning, he's still kind of kind of optimistic. And I think he kind of represents that certain voting block that's like, no, yeah, you know what? I'm fully on board with trickle down economics. Yeah, you know, they're going to the get theirs up top and then it's going to come down to us. Like, and like David Keith is just like, you're fucking crazy. Man. <laughs> you know, like rightfully so. He's like, you're fucking nuts. Like there's no one looking out for us. Like they're, they, they don't have our best interests. Are we fucking nuts? And that's why I, I, I think they, I mean, also Roddy Roddy Piper. <laughs> yeah. Pro wrestler of the eighties. Like I cannot it's... drive that home hard enough. Um, I, I think that's why this movie really does embody what the quote unquote eighties represent like not the goofy like neon like you know new wave 80s but i mean like the real nitty-gritty that like most people were experiencing in the the 80s you could the average person could watch they live and be like yeah i don't identify with um fucking aliens stalking us and looking like us but i totally get the, the 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 job insecurity the financial worry and all that like that 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 really sums up like that that sort of you know late reagan early bush one um time in history yeah it's, it's always nice to see carpenter get political yeah. i always dig it when he does that i i love I, I love how recently there was that big thing who the f- some 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 someone in the gop had said something about uh about how uh they live was like a warning against communism oh. and john carpenter was like <laughs> no idiots nuts? yeah yeah like right. what, what do you like how, no no it's not about communism like <laughs> he it's it's in goddamn lunkheads <laughs> <laughs> quick quick to the thing there no that's a wonderful representation because actually that we were talking off mic and i yeah. was kind of telling genius my rep my 80s aesthetic but what was the opposite that i'm going to do right exactly what justin said which is awesome so now genius what is your definition of an 80s aesthetic and see this is where i'm having a problem because i have so many like definitions in my head it's almost it, my internal dictionary is not webster's merriam it's urban so <laughs> like there's all these different variables. So 80s aesthetic, the two main things that I'm looking for, and unfortunately, each one has one, mm-hmm. is um, what looks more 80s, what looks like the 80s style. And the second one is what is more of the 80s representation of the style being uh, bold, kind of mm-hmm. avant-garde, really gory, you know? So okay, that's yeah. that's where I'm having a problem because – as avant-garde style, uh, stylistically, and the gore, it is it's it's totally Hellraiser yeah. for me. Oh, undeniably, yeah, undeniably. But for like what looks like the '80s, what looks like it could be 
You know what I'm saying? The whole, the the, the outfits, the wardrobe, the hair, the what's 80s mo motif. Piper's mullet. Exactly. And like you said, you can't get more 80s than trickle-down economics yeah, exactly. and fucking World Wrestling Federation. Yeah. So I have and to... Just, huh? I, I was going to say also, uh, you know, this is, again, sort of on the nose, but the paranoia that this movie, like, oh, it really yeah. is like... Uh, even after watching it the most recent time, at the end of it, I was like, it, you know, I mean, obviously, I hope not. I'm like, you know, this thing, I don't trust my neighbor. You know, I'm like, I don't think that's something. Like, I mean, I don't know if he's not an alien. Maybe he's like a reptilian person from like who lives underground. But this, this you know what, like, and everyone makes fun about how like Piper said the thing about it, the movie being a documentary. And I think that's like it, sort of like a misquote from what he actually said. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I'm like. Hey, it kind of yeah. plays as one. I mean, there, yeah, there could be I mean, a case. Yeah, I mean, you can't, you cannot trust anybody. I mean, if there's yeah. if there's one thing that the X Files and life has taught us, it's you cannot trust anybody. And Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah. Stone Cold. <laughs> so which way are you going to go on that, there, genius? It I'm gonna have to, like I'm gonna have to go. They live. Okay. I mean, like, because even though it it's even though it's super eighty, this it's still kind of timeless. No, I know? agree. I agree, and I think those are both really good representations of an eighties aesthetic. So I'm gonna go more um, lowest common denominator because when I think eighties, I go to um, just the joys of you know Justin. You talked about the cover art. But I also go to the joys of the cover of a Fangoria magazine. And yes. to me, there's nothing more 80s than that anticipation. I would always go to like B. Dalton Bookseller, and it was forbidden fruit because, you know, all the, it was just so gory yeah. and bright. And I, I went to, I'm doing kind of the Fangoria test here, but technically, Hellraiser 2 and They Live both exist on the same cover, yeah. but it was Hellraiser 2 that got the cover story. Nice. Yes, yes. And I, we, we, we talked about that. Uh, the, uh, the, 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 and the, the horrible underrepresentation of waxwork. Oh, which, oh. Which, uh, which appears to be a tragedy from what I've heard. Absolutely. <laughs> Waxworks does, definitely does not get the love it deserves. Waxworks is a fantastic anthology. And if anybody wants to bait me an anthology, I'm ready for it. He'll whip you good. So for me, I am going to go ahead and go with Hellraiser 2 for an 80s aesthetic mm -hmm. based on uh, Forever Gory and Fangoria magazine. Now, that was a little bit more subjective. So the one that we're going to be using our heads on here is, you know, th these films were released in 88 and we're still talking about them yeah. today. So my question is, which film, Hellbound, Hellraiser 2, or They Live, are we going to still be talking about 30 years from now? So again, we're gonna, we're gonna show your work on this one, but Justin, what are you gonna go on this one? I'm gonna have to go with They Live Again. Okay. Um, if only, actually no, because there's there's a couple of reasons. One, if we make it 30 years from now. <laughs> oh God, yeah. that's sadly true. If we make it 30 true. years from now, yeah. people, this what we're going through right now, people are going to, and I'm not gonna get political because whatever, we all know what's happening. People are going to be like, no, holy shit, like that, you know, like the, the, the 80s and like, you know, like it all started under Reagan. You know, that's what it really mm -hmm. gained traction. That's when it really became like an actual movement. Um, I mean, we can argue Jimmy uh, or Billy Graham just died, so we could argue about the Cold War and all that, but we're not going to. Uh, Reagan started it all. And like there's no horror movie that sums it up better than They Live. Mm -hmm. And plus it's John Carpenter. You know, <laughs> I mean, for every Starman and Vampires and Ghost of Mars he put out – the dude made the thing and basically almost pretty much invented slasher films mm -hmm. and he made they live um 
so it's like you you, you have a catalog. It it, it it has the carpenter stamp on it right there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's also it's it's also an iconic movie. Um, so I think that right there, it would would be enough to put it above Hellbound. But also, <laughs> and this is not a, really a diss on Hellbound. Um, they live is not a sequel. Hellbound yeah, yeah. is, yep. and it's a great sequel. But you got to be amazing to be remembered. Like I can think of like uh, Aliens, uh, Terminator Two, and the third Exorcist film are the only sequels in Dawn of the Dead that are like, holy fuck! I should have said Dawn of the Dead first. Jesus Christ! <laughs> um, that are really like, like oh my god, these are like. It, 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 you know, these movies really stand out on their own. Like, they each bring something to the original idea. Like, Hellbound is a great sequel, but it's not, like, it's it's it, it's not in that league, if, 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 if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And also, another problem that it, this isn't really Hellbound's fault, um, most people view much of the Hellraiser franchise with a little bit of disdain, and mm-hmm. that's being polite about it. I, I do, unfortunately, think that... Um, a lot of the, uh, I don't want to say integrity, the the dignity, I guess, is is, is a word. That's appropriate. I think that's yeah. appropriate. The, the dignity of of, of, of of the Hellraiser franchise really is being, uh, it's being like, uh, Liam and I talked about it on the newest episode of, of, of The Biz, you know, how like this is what J.J. Uh, Abrams and Bad Robot are doing with the Cloverfield movies. They're buying unrelated scripts and unrelated projects. I'm into it fucking shoving cloverfield in there um i like hellraiser inferno but i think that movie could could probably work better as just a weird quasi supernatural noir film that didn't have pinhead at all in it it didn't need pinhead uh but the point of this rambling is (laughs) the tangent think that the 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 quote uh, we'll say tarnished reputation of the hellraiser franchise i think it might affect um, Hellraiser 2. Mm, that makes sense. And the way people look back on it 30 years from now. Whereas I think, like, They Live is like, I mean, John Carpenter has made, I mean, he made The Ward and he's <laughs> made Ghost of Mars. Some people will say that uh, Vampires falls in there too. I'm a fan of Vampires. But John Carpenter, his legacy, I think, could carry They Live in a positive light 30 years from now, where I don't think the, 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 the franchise of Hellraiser could do the same for Hellbound. And that's, also, who who directed uh, this, who directed Hellbound? It was originally, I think it was the original cinematographer from the first one. It was, and and those that's that is exactly what we're talking about when we're showing your work. Uh, Tony Randall appreciates a little bit of love on that, but um, genius, you've been okay. I got to agree with a lot of your points, but you know what? I'm tired of this Ghost of Mars bashing. Ghost of Mars is a good fucking movie. I enjoy the shit out of it. Here's the thing about it. It's good up until that last scene. That last scene is unforgivable. You know, with the, you know, the ghosts invade the city, and I'm like, this movie would be fine. It's a cool concept. It's done pretty well. I don't even mind Ice Cube and Natasha Hendridge. <laughs> but that last scene where I believe it's Natasha Hendricks is in jail, mm-hmm. or Ice Cube is in jail, and the other one comes in and, like, tosses him a gun, I'm just like, get the fuck out of here. Like, come I, on, man. You're better I, than this. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I thought it was just a good end. Like, okay, the further adventures of Ghosts of Mars. I was waiting for the Ghosts <laughs> of Buck Flowers to come out. I was... I thoroughly enjoyed it. I 
<laughs> it's so funny though, and I know because you said it twice. <laughs> <laughs> so no, but that's exactly what we're talking about when showing your work, and that's actually showing the other side as well. So yeah. that's some phenomenal work there. But you know, definitely a good vote for they live. So genius. Thirty years from now, which ones are we talking about? Mm-hmm. If we were in a okay, let's just say there's two separate classes 30 years from the future and one of them is a horror class and talking about some of the best horror sequels ever made and some of the best horror movies of 1980 uh, the, the, the past I think Hellbound would be up there even with it's a tarnished thing because it's known as a dirty movie it's skeezy but I think if we the class down the down the hall is teaching world economics and world history they would show they live Okay. So no, I'll 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 I'll, mm-hmm. I'll meet you halfway and, and and agree with that. Yeah, that's. Well, are you gonna are you gonna arm wrestle? Meet you halfway. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like <laughs> you know, predator style, like <laughs> right over the top. I gotta get to turn my hat sideways and all. <laughs> it's like a switch. <laughs> right, but if we were talking like horror, like a, just a horror thing, I think it would it would we would also talk about they live. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but I think we would definitely have a strong case for Hellraiser on some of the things. But I think just because of the themed. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's more an accessible movie. You don't have to be a horror fan and like want the guts and gore. But more people would probably see they live before they see Hellraiser 2. Yeah. And I think oh, yeah. and I it, think it, it's it, it it's not quite an acquired taste. But right. It it it, it 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 steps on the line of an yeah, it does, because <laughs> we talked about it earlier. You have to be in almost a right frame of mind to get in, to see a Hellraiser movie. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like, hey, come to daddy. You know, it's <laughs> so it's another another vote for they live. And I'll be honest to me, this is not necessarily a no brainer because with Hellraiser. Yeah, it's <laughs> both movies have their merits. But honestly, I really hope we don't have to talk about they live 30 years from now. Due to its relevance, the way we are still talking about its relevance today, 30 mm-hmm. years from its original release date. As you mentioned, Justin, hopefully we're here 30 years from yeah. now. But honestly, I hope yeah, we're I, not in yeah, the same... I'll, I'll, be, I'll be happy if, uh, I don't know, religious zealots haven't blown us up or we're not slaves to Skynet. So <laughs> Yeah, all hail our lord <laughs> well, and masters. Or, or the aliens. Consume, marry, yes. reproduce. This is your god. Oh, god. No, I, I hopefully the Get only the reason program. we're talking about it 30 years from now is because it is a John Carpenter jam. It's one yes, that yes. was mm-hmm. truly relevant. We can hopefully ideally look at it as a historical set piece and go, remember how shitty the 80s were <laughs> and how much of this film was a representation? Oh, how things have gotten better since then. Yeah. But it can so be much better with our flying cars and our friendly yes. robots. And I. <laughs> And where we have universal health care and everything, but hopefully this will be yes. that'll be a cautionary tale yeah. movie versus that. And thirty years from now we can look back and go, Oh, how much better we are. Don't let it happen again. Indeed. So <laughs> let's count up our score here, you guys. But um by a tally of five to one. Oof. It's <laughs> almost well, a sweep. I know. Put your sunglasses on because uh, they live going forward here. This is kind of a phenomenal. <laughs> this is a wonderful thing. John Carpenter representation and the, the thing. So, so, man, thank you so much, Justin, uh, for taking the time for doing yeah, this. Dude. That was awesome. This is fantastic. And again, you guys can check Justin and Liam over at the uh, Horror Business Podcast at Cinepunks, Cinepunks.com. Um, again, where else can they find you out on the interwebs there, Justin? Uh we're on I uh, for on Twitter at the Harbiz six six six. I mean, if you want to follow me, my personal Twitter, I post a lot of political stuff and pictures of my dog <laughs> at Repairman X Jack. But if you, if anyone ever wants to interact with me, I am 
contrary to popular belief, quite a personal human being in life and on the internet. So get at us, interact with us, and, you know, uh, yeah, let's let's fucking talk horror movies. Let's have a good time. That's perfect. That's yeah. perfect. So, guys, representing 1980, 1988 in the Into the Mouth of March Madness tournament. Formaldehyde face. Indeed. Uh, it's been a bloody battle, but They Live is going on to the Frightful Four. Now, what films from Fuck 1998? Yeah, awesome. I know, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you were part of this, my friend. So yep. um, what film from 1998 is going to go on? Well, you just got to wait until next week. So mm-hmm. until that time, uh, this is Greg D. Uh, I'm Genius McGee. And we will see you in your dreams. Yeah.